Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation and welcome to the Danny Batten Fight Show episode number 21. Fresh off the back of our first live show last week, we are back for another recorded show. But do not fear because we will be back live again on Friday evening at six o'clock with a, another special guest uh, analysis. Is that even a word? Analysis. Analysis. I don't know. Sounds good. <laughs> Special guest is coming again uh, for Friday's live show, which I'm sure we'll, we'll tell you about in a bit. Uh, today, we are going to talk UFC fight night from last night or from Saturday night, because this is going to go on Wednesday. We're also going to talk a bit of uh, UFC 7.5, technically, it's not UFC 8. It's called The Ultimate Ultimate from 1995 with some very familiar names and some old classic uh, no-rules UFC, groin strikes and all. And uh, yeah, and then we'll also be doing part three of our look into the rise of Jack Shaw through the Cage Warriors ranks. I think it's the third fight we've looked at, which is uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, joining me, as usual, Former Cage Warriors champion and UK MMA legend, Mr. Danny yeah. Batten. How are Music you, my to, friend? Music to my ears every time, so. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. Legend. <laughs> legend. And, of course, we have uh, an, another special guest, analysis assist giver. <laughs> and that is uh, UFC, UFC lightweight, Modestus. Cash, 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 cash. I can't, I can't say it, mate. I, I've tried <laughs> yeah, so many times. I, I just think I'll point. <laughs> well, I just think I'll, I'll point out as well. Um, 
Oh, his sound's gone. Where's your sound gone? Oh, oh. Yeah, me? Yeah, yeah no, you're back again. You go. You've got a loose I'll... connection. <laughs> I don't know, mate. These loose connections keep happening all the time. I don't know what's going on. Um, right. So what did you say? Um, yeah, now I was saying, um, yeah. So I think I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a bit heavy for lightweight, uh, light heavyweight. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think you said lightweight. <laughs> but it's all good. I, I like to, I like to, you know, think of myself as a bit of a lightweight. Um, and uh, yeah, um, how you doing, mate? You all good? <laughs> Yeah, I'm good, mate. I really, I see. I wrote I, on the underneath you. It says light heavyweight, but and I'm staring right at it. But I still <laughs> said light, lightweight. Must have been a must have been our pre-show pre-show it's conversation. The, it's, it's, it's the chisel chin, the chisel yeah, chin, and the is. sexy abs. That's what it is. It's the lock. It's the lock. It's the, lock, it's the lockdown uh, physique. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Every, everybody else has been piling on the pounds, but you've just been like shredding them. It's that one spinach leaf a day diet working out well. <laughs> so yeah, um, so we're going to talk last night's UFC anyway, but in a minute. But um, Modestus, how has uh, how's lockdown been for you? It's actually been a good experience. Um, I've been able to work on certain things that I haven't been normally been able to do, like during during fight camp. But it's funny. Everyone talks about fight camp or training camp or whatever, but I'm always, you know, I'm always sort of training. I'm always trying to improve and sort of learn new things. So it's been a, actually a blessing in disguise because it means that I've just been able to work on all the moves that, you know, we've been training out at BST, all the stuff that my dad's been doing. Like nothing changes for me. I'm, I'm very fortunate as opposed to some other fighters. You know, I've got a gym at home. So it literally just goes straight downstairs and boom, I've got, I've got my gym right there. Um, you know, my dad does my strength and conditioning. He does my pad work. He, he, you know, he does my game plan stuff along with Danny. And then, you know, like all the stuff, I've, I've got one training partner that comes and trains me, trains with me, and we like go over all the moves that that I've been uh, that I've been practicing in class. And then, uh, and then, you know, another day in the week, I've got the, my other training partners from Northampton, and we just come and do like some grappling sparring and stuff. So realistically, I'm going to be coming out of quarantine probably an even better fighter than I, than I was coming in. So. And that's what you always want. I think you always want to obviously be looking to involve, you know, get better. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm trying to learn a bit more Lithuanian. You know, I'm trying to work on my dance moves just in case, you know, the opportunity arises. So it's good. No, Listen, be ready. I think this is a great thing for, for everyone to try and just work on yourself. And I'm, like I said, I'm very fortunate and grateful that I've got like loads of amazing people around me and the resources available to go and, you know, better myself. And uh, yeah, so obviously I've got to be ready because as soon as the call comes, uh, I've got to be ready to go. So obviously I'm, I'm itching for my UFC debut. So uh, yeah, can't wait. Yes, yeah. and I guess like you mentioned, not 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 all fighters are in that same position. So they they might be struggling to do get the work in as best you know as much as they would like. So you are lucky in that point. So hopefully, when the call does come, you'll be uh, it'll be sooner rather than later because you won't have to perhaps kind of like when we spoke to Brett Johns the other day, he said, you know, he's, he's itching to fight, but equally he wants to do himself justice and he would want, you know, a certain fight camp behind him before he would be able to commit to it. But obviously he's not in the position at the moment where he can, has been able to train to the same level that what he, you know, what he's used to on a daily mm, basis. Mm, mm, and it mm. makes a difference then, doesn't it? So yeah. Any, uh, any, uh news at the moment in regards to like your 
debut in the UFC? So what I'm allowed to say is that so May 16th, I had a fight booked. Okay. Um, I can't say what the opponent is, but we're hoping to get that fight rebooked. And we so all the fighters, we had a conference call with Dana White, uh, which was actually pretty cool, just seeing Dana White on the screen mm-hmm. actually like, obviously he wasn't talking to me personally, but at the same time, the fact that he was in a room with like all the other UFC fighters and you got Dana White right there, I was just like... Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's my boss right there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, like explaining everything to us, he said that, I, you know, as the events were planned out before, like as the events go like in order, that's who's going to have like the first come first serve sort of basis. So um, I'm probably going to be matched or hopefully I'm going to be matched quite early on the Fight Island cards. So we're looking at, you know, end of June, early July, something like that. So, that's what I'm, you know, sort of projecting. That's what we're hoping for. At the end of the day, whatever happens, we'll, we'll sort of be ready. It all, re- it all really, as well, sort of depends on like the travel situation and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, of course, for a while, the the sporting events are not going to be going like you know full swing. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But we're looking at end of June, early July, something like that. I did, um, I did read. I think it was yesterday, some in one of the papers that that. Uh... There may be sporting events, like because they want to get them up and running as quick as possible. They may be, they may have slightly different rules for tra- like traveling via, you know, via airplane and stuff, which will obviously help massively for not just you but cage cage warriors guys, um, because cage mm-hmm. warriors is now exclusive to uh, UFC Fight Pass. Obviously, UFC want to get the cage warriors shows on as well which means yeah. that if they do sort out the Fight Island shows, they could potentially have Cage Warrior shows there as well if they can get the fighters over from Europe mm. to do it. Um, you did mention there that you've been, uh, you're still working on your dance moves. Does, does that mean that we're going to, you know, we're going to go down the Strictly Come Dancing to go along with the Take Me Out <laughs> stuff as well? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Whatever sort of opportunity comes my way. I'll be ready for whatever the situation, you know what I mean? Whether it be Strictly Come Dancing or, well, I don't know what other shows there are out here that, that you know, have it all down. But don't worry, I'll be, I'll be practicing. Ice. I'll be getting all the YouTube, like, you know. Have you ever seen these t- TikToks that these people are doing nowadays? Yeah, I do. Yeah, my kids love them. I sound like but... an old man saying that. But anyways, so <laughs> yeah, we've got the, <laughs> they've got all these TikToks and all these people like doing dance moves and I'm just like, in my room, I'm just, but I'm like, like looking at it like I'm stunned. Like, okay, so how's he moving his arm? How's he doing it? And people are just having a laugh with it. So, but we'll see. Give it a couple of months, you know, couple of moves a day, and then who knows? We'll bang it all together, and then next thing you know, me and Danny are gonna make a little BST music video. There you go. Well, <laughs> you know, like I've got a YouTube channel. You've got a YouTube channel. It seems like the, it's only right that the next person to have their own YouTube channel would be Danny, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Uh-huh. I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering what would the the focal point of you know through of his videos would be. Like, yeah, you know, what as, what would as, the content be? I wonder. Fighting, you know, <laughs> you oh, know exactly fun. what it would be, Majesty. You know exactly what it'd be. <laughs> oh my god. So um, yeah. So Danny, how have you been, mate, this week? What's your week been like? Yeah, Even though I spoke I mean, to you on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I I, I always stay busy. Um, I know lockdown's seen a lot of people have a lot of time at home. Um, although I have had my moments at home, most of my time is spent out still working and grafting. Um, there was still a lot of work to be done in the gym. 
Um, so I've been going along doing that. Obviously, I'm the only one there in the gym at any one time. So it's not like I'm having to force to be rubbing shoulders with people because obviously that's against the rules. But I do go in and still do some work around the gym that needs to be done. Um, and um, I'm trying to make men's, ends meet other ways as well, um, which I, I think is a big struggle for a lot of people that were in my similar situation. I went from earning money to earning nothing. So I've had to try and find ways to to sort of scrape by, but I'm getting by my survivor. I'll be okay. And daddy's always there for me. Thanks, dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right, Dan, what did you think uh, just overall of last night's UFC fight night? Yeah, um, there was um, some good fights and ones that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, it, it was not like a super special one. I think we kind of been spoiled with that one. Um, but it was good viewing. I did. I wasn't bored by any stretch watching it. Um, the, the favorite, one of the favorite bouts for me is the women's match. You know how fond I am of the women's matches. I, I think they're really, really good. This was really competitive. Um, it was hard to know who was going to win that one at the end of it. Um, but we'll talk about more about that as and when it comes along. But the, the women for me, they're, they're just technically all good. They're all really, really good and all very, very equal in any given area. It's great viewing. Yeah, I think so. Um, the um, I thought this one was more enjoyable than Wednesday's show. I thought Wednesday's was hard work to watch, I've got to be honest. Um, okay. There was like one or two fights on the Wednesday show, which I really, really enjoyed. But then mm. the ones which weren't great were really difficult to watch, whereas this one, mm. I watched it all, enjoyed most of them. And I, I went back and watched it. Even though we, you know, we stick to the main cards generally, um, I went back and watched some of the prelim fights, and some of the prelim fights are actually better than the main card. The, um, the Matt Brown fight particularly was really enjoyable. Um, Modestus, what did you think of the just overall of the show? Like? Uh, you know, I, I thought they had, like, uh, like Danny said, I thought there some good fights. I thought that was a very competitive women's fight there. Uh, I thought the... Uh... I thought there was a couple of, you know, officiating errors. I mean, listen, that's just in my eyes. I understand, obviously, it's, it's different when you're you're sort of in there and, like, officiating yourself, obviously. But, you know, I feel like some of the uh, the referees um, judging, sorry, like the judging for some of the fights, you, you could have said it went the other way. So there, there's a couple of decisions like that on the main card that they had. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in, in the main event as well. I think as well, if you saw in the Anthony Smith fight, I mean, the geezer is literally handing his teeth to the uh, to the uh, referee in, inside the cage. And the referee's like, yeah, sure, just keep hitting him. And I'm just yeah. like, listen, there's, there's, there's some decisions which yeah, are a bit premature. And obviously they're trying to, you know, not get into that sort of, or trying to move away from having premature stoppages. But at the same time, you can't let a guy get his head smashed. Literally standing up, and he's all wobbly, and he he can barely walk. And the guy's like, "Yeah, nah, we'll, we'll go until he's knocked yeah. out." You know what I well, mean? So, um, sorry to interrupt you there, mate. No um, worries. The uh, we talked about this a bit on Thursday as well. It's like the consistency of it all. Like you want it to be consistent for every fight, so every fighter knows where they stand. Where if it gets to mm-hmm. kind of this point where you 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 wobbling or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, whatever the kind of cutoff point is, if you like. It needs to be the same for everyone. And then we said, uh, I can't remember if it was, it was either with Richard on Thursday, Richard Shaw, or or it would might be with Brett, where we said, do you give certain fighters more leeway because you know they can take a punch? So I know, I think it was with Brett, wasn't it? Because it was with the Tony Ferguson fight 
where I asked the question to Danny and Brett, whereby, right, because you know Tony Ferguson can take a beating and then still beat someone from on his back or wherever it may be, does he get more leeway than someone who maybe has been knocked out before and gets a bit wobbly when they get hit on the chin? Should should they get, you know, should it be different for each one or should it not just be the same whereby there was a few points in the Tony Ferguson fight where I felt like it could have been stopped? Um, and there was in the Matt Brown fight, there was arguably a point just before uh, Miguel Beiser won at the end of round one where you could argue that Matt Brown probably could have had a stoppage win. And it's, I, I, don't know. I, think, I think there's been a bit, in my opinion, I think there's been a bit of a wave of sort of good officiating and sort of not so good officiating, or they've sort of tried to determine when is a good time to stop it. And they've had a lot of times where there's a lot of people been complaining that there's been too many early stoppages, but yeah. then they try and correct that or eradicate that particular error. And then it goes on for too long and stuff like that. I think, yeah, I think in terms of level of importance, I think if it's a title fight or a main event or whatever, then yes, maybe you could say it should go on a little bit longer just because, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting for a very important fight. But at the end of the day, I think the main priority obviously should be fighter safety. Listen, if the guy is trying to defend himself, then, you know, and especially for a main event fight, you should let him try and defend himself. But if he is literally out on his feet, getting absolutely wobbled, that's, you know, brain trauma and like, you know, all sorts of other problems that are going into it. I mean, yeah, it's a fight at the end of the day, you know, you, you sort of, it's good for the crowd and stuff like that. But when it gets to that point where the guy's like literally... Glover to Sarah in that fight was literally telling her, "I'm sorry about this." Yeah, I mean, that is... do, you, do you know what I mean? It's it's mm. mad. So, I, I, yeah. I, I and agree. he switched. He switched. Sorry again to interrupt. Yeah, 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 he no, switched fine, though. Fine. He switched, didn't he? Again, whereby he was beating Anthony Smith so badly that he, in the end, he stopped hitting him. Because I went back and watched it after the show on which we did on Thursday. Because I asked Richard the question and Danny was, "Did he? Because he likes Anthony Smith and their friends. Did he stop hitting him?" and start trying to grapple with him and submit him because he knew he was hurting him and he knew he'd won the fight. So he just kind of went to grappling to do no further damage. And we kind of speculated that maybe that was the case. And I went back and watched it again. And I really believe that that was the case because it was not long after he apologized to him and said, look, I'm really sorry. It's just, you know, it's just, this is the job kind of thing to where he was comfortably winning the fight, looking like he was going to finish it to then just like laying on the floor not even really pushing for a submission, um, just kind of grappling. And I think if that's the, if a fighter is taking that into his own hands, whereby he's trying to protect his opponent, his opponent, then maybe the, the ref's got to step in at some point there. But I don't, well, yeah, I, I, I think I definitely agree with you because it, it was definitely visible, like you said, that he was sort of slowing down a little bit because he could have easily just went in on the ground and pound. Like, even when he was on top on mountain, that last little sequence, he could have easily started raining down some shots. But he just, little pity pat shots just to show that the guy's just not defending himself. Like, that's it. Mm. That, that, that is the problem. I think mm. when a fight is literally just shelling up and not doing anything, he's not intelligently defending himself. So that would then, that should then cause a stoppage. There was a lot of times like that. He's literally mm. just helpless, can't defend himself. Yeah. So don't, I think don't that's you think, when. Don't yeah. you think, though, Mr. Stubb, possibly? Um, and this is what I've been thinking. I've been trying to scratch my head about what, what this situation is that's going on with the refereeing. You've got to wonder whether it's the fact that there's no crowd there. Because 
if you imagine that these shots were going in and the crowd are like, oh, oh, it might give that urgency to the ref. But instead, the ref's like, uh, do I, don't I? Yeah. Sometimes refs almost get pushed along by the, the reaction to the crowd. Maybe that, that's, that's what's going on here. It's, you know, that's just something that I you know, might go in with the mix of what's happening here. It's, it's just really yeah, and I suppose the other, the other side of that as well with the crowd is um, is as those shots come in, like to say in Anthony Smith in the Anthony Smith fight, you'd have got a lot of kind of oohs and ahs from the yeah. brutality of them. But then maybe from some of the other fights we've seen over the last week, where it looks like there might be a finish, everyone would have been up off their feet, the, the volume would have gone up, you know, the crowd would yeah. have been louder. So then the referee almost gets taken along with the momentum of that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting point, isn't it? Um, okay, did you watch uh, the Matt Brown fight, uh, Danny? Yes, I did. The prelim. Did you watch that one, uh, Modestus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did yeah see okay, that. cool. So, I am. Um, it's a weird fight, man, because I thought Matt Brown looked real impressive in that first round. Some of the combinations he um, was hitting were really good, like really quick, powerful, like three, four punch com- combinations. And then um, he had buys a ro- really, uh, he kind of rocked him in that. I think it was towards the end of the first round. Um, and I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to finish this. And the ref let it go. And then buys kind of got to his feet and he got himself together a little bit. And then they paused to pick up the mouth guard. And then by the time he got his mouth guard and they finished the round. And then obviously he came out in the second round, cracked him with a couple of, uh, Nice shots. And even then, uh, Brown hit another combination at the start of the second. And I was just impressed with Brown's, um, the speed of his combinations. Like as soon as he hit that first punch, he followed it up straight away, um, which is obviously vital when you're, it's heavyweight, wasn't it, this fight? Yeah. Um, But what did you make of the the Matt Brown, Miguel Beiser fight, uh, Danny? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've been a massive fan. Uh, of Matt, Matt Brown, I think he's um, a fighter that's you know, fights with pure IQ. Um, but of course, to, to broaden that IQ spectrum, you've got to have a lot of tools to throw in. And this guy's got a lot of tools, and not just his standard techniques. Comes in with some diverse combinations. Um, he's very, very creative, and um, always seems to be doing what the opponent doesn't want him to do. You know, he's always, always keeping himself in the mix, even when he's on the receiving end. He could always, you know suddenly do a spinning elbow, uh, a nice emphatic takedown. His ground's top-notch. He could, he could be on his back and scramble up into a dominant position. Um, he's really, really creative. Um, you, you did see some of that again in this fight. I just wonder whether, you know, reaching 39 years of age now and, and getting rocked a little bit dizzy, uh, a little bit easier um, than he had previously done in any of these other fights. So you've got to wonder whether the miles have notched up on his clock and um, we might have seen him past his best now and you know for, for his own legacy and his health and safety you've you got to wonder whether he should perhaps put up his gloves not to say that's a horrendous performance but he did get rocked and his reactions were definitely s- slower now that could also be to do with the fact that we're going through this unusual covid situation and maybe he hasn't been on the on his training and he needs his sparring to stay sharp and he hasn't got that in this time but um, something was amiss with him. As much as he was creative, as much as he nearly put the guy away, um, he definitely was reacting slow to those leg kicks and um, he was getting hit and rocked very, very easily. Uh, and that was a worrying sign for me for Matt Brown. But other than that, I've always been a, a massive fan of him. 
Yeah, I assume. Um, what about you, uh, Modestas? What did you make of this one? I, I, I think Danny sort of hit the nail on the head there. Um, yeah, it just, it just seemed that, you know, I mean, he's been in some crazy wars. He's been some really, you know, sort of interesting fights and stuff like that. And obviously, with the damage, I mean, even the fights when he does do well, you know, like he's obviously still accumulating damage and, you know, going 39 now and stuff like that. And even like, what's that, welterweight, I think. So it's like, you know... yeah. It's sort of like the mid-tier sort of weight class. It's usually only really the heavyweights that go on to like their 40s and can still sort of push push and, 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 and do well. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, he's got a very diverse skill set. It's crazy because I'm, I'm pretty sure he trains in Colorado. I'm not 100% sure, but it seems like all of those guys um, who train with that coach over there, they seem to put up these, these combinations, like, you know, adding the elbows, adding like these sort of leaning kick type uh, kick type moves, which is actually like really nice, and the way that he adds it into the fight is like is like really cool, actually. But um, listen, I mean, the, the other guy, um, obviously he was undefeated as well, so um, he was a very uh, a very he was a very strong sort of competitor in that fight. And you know, when when he when he smelt that there was damage, obviously he he, he went in for it. So uh, you know, he he I guess maybe sort of that added little pressure, maybe gave him a little bit of a spark to sort of to sort of push the pressure when he, when he sort of hurt him. So, um, yeah, no, but, you know, like Danny said, you know, Matt's always an entertaining fight and he always he puts on a, he always puts on a great show and, you know, shows like some really diverse skill sets. But, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? It might, it might be sort of towards, towards the end of when he can actually, you know, uh, to take a, take a shot. I mean, you never want to take a shot, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was an interesting he, fight either way though. He's never been UFC champion either, has he? I think no, he's always, nah, it's always yeah, eluded yeah. him. Uh, I mean, he's just he's just like the fighter that always should have been but never was. It's just mm-hmm. all, always just slipped out of his grasp. But yeah, he, he's one fighter that really should have had the title at some point, but it's just never happened for him. I think it's similar to Donald Cerrone, actually, his sort of position. Yeah. Like, very good fighter, beat some amazing guys, but always when it got to that fight that will either get him the title or get him closer to yeah. fight or he, he would lose that and then he'll come back and win another mm-hmm. fight but then lose on another important fight. That's another crazy thing yeah. in the game, isn't it? Like, you sort of, <laughs> as much as it, like, you know, you sort of have to win at the right time as well. So, um, sure, you know, sure. that, that's, that's he's another got, big part of the game. He's got a, a hell of a thing here. I was just look, looking at, he's got a fight of the night three times, knockout of the night on one occasion, performance of the night two times, um, most knockout wins in UFC history, world weight division, and second most in UFC history, and most finishes in UFC weight history. I mean, that's an incredible accolade to <laughs> and to not become the champion. That's just incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. crazy record that is. But yeah, that's an interesting uh, comparison you made, Modestus, to Cerrone, because you're right. Like he'll have these amazing fights, these wars. Take a lot of damage, take, but also you know beat some top guys, go on little runs of you know three, four, five, uh, three or four fight win streaks, and then when it comes to that big fight, either like I think in Cerrone's case, he's often I don't want to say bottled it, but like he's had a problem when the big big fight has come, he's never quite performed when it. Yeah, I but mean, really I'm... been on the line. If you like, not to say, um, you know, I'm not in any way implying that he's like, uh, you know, bottled it. But what I, what I mean by that is when it's come to that really, you know, this is the time to to put on your best performance. You know, he hasn't always done that, 
And I think, you know, maybe you could say the same about Matt Smith as well. Oh, Matt Brown, yeah. Um, yeah sorry, Matt Brown. And Matt yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, I mean, but I don't know. It's weird because Donna Cerrone is a bit of a slow starter. I mean, it, yeah, he, he always says that about himself, but it's true. I mean, it seems like he needs like that round to sort of feel the pace, feel because it's weird. I mean, you look to the, I think his first fight of Anthony Pettis, he had that bit of a slow start and then Anthony Pettis was sort of coming in with like the big strike. But then you look at the second fight, it's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it seemed like he saw, but Matt Brown, I, I personally have never seen him to be a bit of a slow starter. Like he's, he's been a bit of a, a different, like, and it's funny because they, they strike very sort of similarly. They, they, they've got like a lot of like similarities about mm-hmm. each other, but, um, yeah, I, I do think it's crazy because he's got like quite good like length for for a welterweight as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, it's it's a fight. It's a volatile situation. There's loads of crazy things happening. You can never really, you know, 100 percent predict because next thing you know, one punch could land, and you know, thing thing things could be like you know, it could change the complete uh, shape of the fight. So uh, you know, I think um, I think he's he's done really well. I mean, he. In a fighter's eyes, though, you've got as well look at it this way. They never want this whole roller coaster to end. I think it's, I mean, listen, I don't even want to get anywhere near to thinking about the whole retirement thing. But it's like when that like sort of question starts rolling up, it's like, imagine being in that pressure situation. You're put out in front of all these people you put there and that. It's like, how can you say no to being out in the spotlight, to being, you know, there? And it's like, you know, and then after that, like even, you know, with Chuck Liddell, absolutely amazing fighter, Hall of Fame, this and that. But, you know, then it's hard to stay relevant afterwards because time's con- consistently always like moving forward. So, they, you know, you always want to be there. You want to have that experience. You want to have that adrenaline rush. It's like, it's stuff that's like a drug. You know what I mean? Like every time I go into a fight, it feels like, it's like you become addicted to that feeling. So for Matt Brown, who knows? He might have a couple of fights and decide, you know, because he, I'm, I'm guaranteed he's probably make, I mean, with all those, you know, awards and stuff like that, he's had, he's probably made quite a decent bit of money and stuff like that. Cause that's another thing hard for fighters. You know, once you finish your career, what's, what's going to happen after that? You know, what are you going to do? Like, have you invested your money properly and, and this and that. So, uh, but look, I mean, if he does continue to fight, I mean, I guess it'll be a case of, you know, just having to, pff, I guess work on a bit more on the head movement or something that like that. But like I say, his combinations looked beautiful. Like it was, it was, it was definitely a work of art I saw in that fight. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, on a different day, that fight could have, you know, he could have those combinations could finish another fighter. And you're talking about what a great performance that was, and or with a different ref, he yeah, may have got yeah. the win in the first yeah. round. That's there's another all, thing, yeah. There's all sorts of um, like aspects to it, isn't there? And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, some like I don't want to say it's luck, but on any given day, anyone you know can get nailed by a, a head kick or a punch or a combination, get KO'd, and it's a completely different look to how the fight could have been like how many times have we seen a fight end at the end of the third round or the fifth round with a fighter being up on, you know, convincingly on the cards and then the other fighter, you know, KOs them, submits them, finishes them out with a blue and the whole performance looks different, doesn't it? As soon as you said that, that Charles Sonnen versus uh, Silva. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was, um, yeah, it was five rounds, wasn't it? Yeah, it was right. Try, I mean, he, I think he, fifth. yeah, he won every round, was just ground and pounding him all the way through. 
And uh, yeah, it got tapped out. I, I can't remember exactly how long right it was left. End, it right? wasn't, no, I think it was very minute, long. I think it was a minute yeah. left in the last round. Oh, gutted, absolutely gutted. <laughs> Crazy. That, 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 um, that feud or that like uh, that run of matches was kind of the yeah. end of Shale, Shale Sennon in, in terms yeah, yeah. of being that main draw because mm. he had built his you know his reputation on not just talking but winning and yeah. then talked so much about Anderson Silva and then obviously yeah Charles Sands is cool guy I, I met him at a restaurant when I was out in America and um, <laughs> yeah, just with a table yeah yeah and he's with loads of other you know other big name guys but I've met a lot of the other people and um you know just went over to introduce myself well, it, it, I had no qualms in spending a few few moments having a chat with you so it's not just a, a hello have a photo you actually ask about what what you do and yeah it's really good meeting him uh full of energy the guy seems as well but yeah always spent time with anyone that took interest in him so fair play to him for that much i am um, i always enjoy his um he used to do that show didn't he on fox like uh well you would probably call a podcast i guess now where he yeah. would interview different fighters and stuff and i find him yeah. quite uh like quite enthralling to listen to, you know, just his mm. the way he cap- captivates you, doesn't he? With the, like the way he speaks yeah. and he talks and well, very, very well. He's got his own YouTube channel now, hasn't he? And I occasionally listen to him, like you know, talk about up and coming fights, fights that have been, and gives his opinion on it. The guy is very analytical. You know, he's an intelligent dude, um, and for the most part, you know, he sees things as they really are. So yeah, I've got a lot of respect for for Chelsea. Yeah, I like I like uh, like pundits or analysts, whatever you want to call them, who give yeah. um, like honest opinions, not just trot out cliches or or like what the companies they work for would nest, you know, what they want to hit them to say. I much prefer listening to guys who will give you know their opinion. It's much more interesting and much more uh, you know kept in enthralling, whatever you want to say. Um, okay, so let's move on to the the, the next fight, which was uh, Song Yadong versus uh, Marlon Vera, uh, ranked thirteen versus fourteen. Um, it, a bantamweight. Um, I thought this was quite an interesting fight. They're both quite uh, fun to watch. Um, I, I think I read somewhere. I might have got this. I might have got these this mixed up, but I'm sure I read that neither one of these guys have actually since they've been in the UFC, have finished a fight and they've all gone to decision, but I'm, that might be wrong, so don't quote me on that. I'm going right. to check that, check that out now just to see. Yeah. But um, they were both they both looking for the finish, but uh, it didn't come. Uh, Modestus, what did you make of round one? Well, I mean, the, the fight as a whole, uh, Vera done really well in the clinch from what I saw. Uh, that's where he was winning most of the exchanges. He was landing off some like really good strikes from uh, from the clinch, especially with the elbows, the short shots, and stuff up against the cage. He was doing really well. I mean, in my personal opinion, I think it was. Uh, I guess you could say the, the the decision as a whole shouldn't have really went that way. Uh, if you look at it, uh, even Vera, you know, managed to get takedowns as well. So. Um, and he was he was winning the the, the exchanges, you know what yeah. I mean? Like he was he was getting he did a very good thing about closing the distance and getting in a good range for him to land his strikes. 
You whereas Sedong, you know, I, I think he, he, you know, he he was used to like sort of being a bit more on the outside, and but you know, Vera made it like a very gritty sort of dirty boxing type fight, and um, yeah, I I felt he was landing more shots, he was controlling it on the ground, and then next thing you know, you know, the the other guy, uh, you know, got got the nod. So um, I thought, you know, but like, like I say, it was very similar through all rounds. Um, like I said, he was he was he was getting the uh, the 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 clinch exchanges. Uh, that's where he was like really just seemed to be over overpowering the other guy, just completely just getting in and landing those dirty boxing shots. It looked really like really good, and there's a perfect game plan to go in against that guy who's you know quite explosive. Yeah. Uh, what about you, uh, Dan? For that first round, what did you make of it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, I'm glad you agreed with me with this actually, because uh, I, I thought the same. I'm, I, I thought Marlon won it just because he's being more diverse. Um, I do think Song was landing a little crisper when he did land. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely had nice, nice hands and that on him. Uh, but for me, Marlon was being more varied. He he was um, still landing almost equally, so not quite as crisp. But he was kicking, he was clinching, he was kneeing, and it was almost like Song was relaxing on his laurels towards the end of each round. Um, which you know just didn't look like he was really trying to take the round at every moment, whereas uh, Monavera looked like he was trying to take the round um, at any opportunity he could. He just dug deeper for me, and yeah. um, and I feel like that that become a pattern that you saw each round. And um, I was really stunned, and uh, Monavera looked really gutted uh, and was, was not happy at all. I don't think he he wouldn't shake the guy's hand, which ain't his fault. But um, each round was really really close, without a shadow of a doubt. But nevertheless, I do think the in, in boxing and the, the, the stepping out with those elbows, uh, the little knee shots, okay, they didn't add up to much, the, the knee shots, but it was still work rate. And um, the fact that he had songs back up against the fence when there was clinching up, it just, I just felt like he was, he was just edging it for me each round. And uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how it went against him, but it did. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you can see why fighters get frustrated. Um, mm. with decisions like that, and he was, you know, he was visibly uh furious, he didn't shake Dong's hand, uh, sorry, Song's hand, um, which is not a great look, you know. You've got to, I know it's easy for me to say as someone who's not a fighter, but I've played you know sports to a fairly decent level, and whether you win or lose, no matter how you win or lose, you've got to take it on the chin, you know, mm. say congratulations and suck it up, um. Because at the end of the day, it's not, you know, Song didn't, uh, you know, he didn't make the decision. He, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't cheat. He didn't, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, it was a judge's decision. And you know when it goes to the judge's decision that you run that risk of it going it's in your opponent's favour. Um, Modestus, what's it like? Uh, have you like have you experienced having a decision go your way where you felt, very strongly that you've won the fight. Um, no, actually, funny mm-hmm. enough. Um, I mean, if you look at most like my pro wins, so out of ten wins, I've got nine finishes. Okay. Um, re- realistically, it's more like I'm looking back at these fights, like the Hamlet fight, for example, and I watched it back as as you do, and obviously my dad's watched it already a million times back, but you know. You see, you see that they all were like, I was down on the scorecards for three rounds. I'm like, really? 
Like, imagine if that fight would have went five rounds. Most likely, even if I would have put on like the prep because the fourth round I was clearly winning. If mm. I would have done that same pressure on the fifth round, he did got no takedowns. I was landing shots, but I didn't finish him. It probably would have went the other way. So it's it's like really it's really weird. It's really hard to sort of understand sometimes what the judges' criteria is. I know 100. percent For example, in that fight, I lost the first round without a shadow of a doubt. But again, second round, oh yeah, he held me up against the cage a little bit. Did he land any shots? No. When it got into the strike exchanges, I was landing. So they, I think every judge is going to have a different sort of viewpoint. I mean, they can have, like, in their head, they're going to be thinking, okay, if this guy's doing this or that, because I think a lot a lot of it nowadays, or, like, it seems like now everyone's gearing more towards landing damage as opposed to before it was a bit more about control and pressuring, whereas now it seems like there's a bit more of an emphasis on uh, on on damage. So, like from what Danny said, you know, the shots being a bit crisper, maybe that's what sort of forced the judges to give it into uh, you know song sort of direction. I I mean, I'm not I'm not too sure, but yeah, with my, with my experience, listen, I I am looking to finish a fight. I mean, I, I understand I'm not going to get the finish all the time. I hope I don't have to be in that position. Um, but at the end of the day, I think. If if you if you're looking at the fight back and sort of everyone sort of uh, agrees with it, at the end of the day, you just got to take what you can from it and you know use that to sort of better yourself for your next fight. You know what I mean? I, mm. I understand it's a very emotionally hard thing to, t- especially when you like you know you pretty much in your head you 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 felt like oh my gosh how the hell like there's no way I'm going to lose this fight and then they give it the other way. It, it is it is quite devastating, but I think. Uh, you know, as a fighter that, you know, if you're going to have a long sort of career, you just got to think, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and let's try and make it so that we don't have the situation again, which obviously is going for the finish. I mean, listen, you can't force anything, but, you know, I think at that point, there's some fighters who, you know, I guess, you know, with the Jones and Reyes fight, I mean, listen, Reyes didn't really, he wanted to, you know, sort of run around a little bit for the last two rounds. And then, you know, a lot of people were sceptical about why did they give it to Jones? But in reality, you look at the last two rounds, Jones was putting the pressure on him. And then if with one of those other rounds where it could have went either way or, you know, someone landed a little bit more strikes here or there, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, with, with, with judging, it's just, it's, it's just difficult, like I said, because you don't know what that particular judge on that particular day is going to be thinking. There's so many different elements that that uh, that go into it. But listen, as devastating as it is, as a fighter, you're 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 used to having setbacks in training, setbacks, you know, in the ring and this and that. So you're always going to have to adapt and overcome anyway. So uh, I'm sure you know Vera will come back and and he'll he'll have a different uh, approach or or have the same approach. He'll just make it even more convincing the next time he goes out and fight. Yeah, for sure. The um, so one of the questions we had uh, for you, Modestus, I've asked Danny this myself, but uh, before, but I'd be interested to hear your response as a as a fighter, a current fighter. Um, which was, would you like to see more ex fighters, uh, sort of high level fighters, uh, become judges and referees? To what would you like to see more? But also, would you like? Do you think that would improve the standard of judging and refereeing? I think that's uh, that's a very interesting question because 
again, I think it goes back to saying that, you know, again, everyone's going to have their own particular priorities in their head as to what they think is going to be winning a fight at the same time. I feel like, yes, uh, if you had an ex-fighter as a judge, it would make it more relatable. So then, therefore, you know, it's not going to be as biased towards a particular area like octagon control or whatever or takedowns. It seems like a lot of judges nowadays don't see... As if the takedown doesn't land you in a in a like a a dominant position for ground and pound or a submission or whatever, they don't really look at it that much. They'll be like, oh yeah, two takedowns, but the guy's landing more damage. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's just a case of you know I think everyone's got to be sort of on the same page a little bit. Like that there needs to be some sort of I don't know like a layout of okay, this is what you're looking for. And I think the experience from an ex-fighter added along with that together, you put those two together, then mm. it would actually make things a lot fairer. I think yeah. the, fa- the fact that you're not, you know, the fact that they're not necessarily follow. I don't know if they're told a particular protocol that they're supposed to follow, but it seems like one fight, they're scoring it like in states, they score things differently. That- that's another thing that blew my mind. You go and fight in Nevada, they score takedowns higher, but then you go and fight wherever else and then damage is high. I'm like, that should not mm. be the case. No. It's got to be an even playing yeah. field, don't they, it? They, they do different rule sets, don't they, as well, for what's a grounded opponent state from state. I mean, you know, it's, that's it's not, a mad not, thing. Not good. In, in the yeah. ultimate combat sport, you know, it should be, it should be the really same. One way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, 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 100%. Uh, yeah, so uh, Song Yedong won via unanimous decision as well. It wasn't even a split decision. Uh, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. I think we're all in agreement that we all thought Vera won. But, I mean, yeah. at least if it was a split decision, you could say, well, it was a close fight. So yeah. some judges have, you know, one judge has given it to him, one judge has given it to him. Yeah. Fair enough. But I think the unanimous decision side of it, makes it more puzzling certainly to me anyway i found it more puzzling you guys are a bit more well not a bit more you know you know more about this like what the judges are looking for and the scoring and all this sort of thing but yeah i couldn't work it out i gotta say um next up was eric anders versus christoph jotka uh danny what did you think of this one all uh, right, yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, this was really close, and this one was generally hard to score. Uh, you know, you had Jotko um, looking like he was more comfortable in the outward striking, um, throwing up some nice um, kicks, landing some nice precise out-of-range, um, you know, outward uh, hands. Um, the only thing is he just didn't have a load of venom on him. It, it didn't look like he was ever going to put Anders away. And Anders made his intentions really clear. He was a big, solid, thick-set guy um, who obviously favoured the wrestling. It's just that he, he just didn't have enough uh, clinical completion of his takedowns. He, he was really good at pressing Jotko up against the fence and working from there, but he just couldn't get it to the ground and keep it there. So he ended up working a lot and, and getting a, a little reward from it. Um, so I found that quite fr- frustrating. Um, I do feel like Jotko did enough to win the first round. Um, I think just on the pure wrestling activity and the fact that he put Jutko um, against the fence so often and really uh, looked at his best striking, breaking away from the wrestling and then shooting back in. He really used his 
wrestling and pushing up against the fence as part of his striking format. So he'd break free from there, he'd throw a kick and he'd shoot back in again. You know, that, that shoot was really amongst the combination of his strikes. Um, never really looked uh, fast enough for me. And as when he was um, out of range, he looked very ploddy, looked a lot slower. Uh, but you know, definitely in close, he looked good. And that's why I give Anders the second round. And that third round was, game was so hard, but I just felt like or oh, Anders was really pushing for that takedown, which was great. He had Jutko's uh, back against the fence again, but wasn't really getting his striking off enough. Um, and I felt like Jutko uh, was landing just generally uh, enough for me to, to cast shadow and doubt over the wrestling effectiveness of Anders in that third round. So I gave it two rounds uh, to Jutko, uh, being the first and the third. And he gave Anders that second round. I feel like Anders really could have tried uh, taken this fight if he was just a little bit more clinical with his takedowns. Um, but it wasn't to be. You know, uh, fair play to, to Jocko to stay on his feet because he was under pressure there against a stronger, more physical guy. All right. Okay. So, so me, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, I have no fighting experience, not a fighter, not a coach, not nothing. Um, I just scored all three rounds to Anders. Um, so much so that I was just looking through my notes as you were speaking, and I was thinking, Have I got these fires mixed up? But, uh, uh-huh. but yeah, like Anders scored a takedown in the in that first round, um, and I think didn't think there was a great deal between them. Um, I agree with you, like, some of the strikes were they weren't you know doing much damage, uh, and he was a bit slow, particularly in that first round to get going. Um, but I did give it to him, and then I same in the second and third. I gave it only marginally, you know. It was, yeah, if you it, told it, me I, that you'd scored all three to Jocko, I wouldn't have been like, oh yeah. my god. Um, I actually, when I was scoring that third round, I, I wrote Anders down about a minute out for or, or a minute and a half out from the but then Jocko just seemed to slow down a little bit, and I was like, oh, you know, I, it was so hard. Um, but yeah, I, I just finally give it another bit. He could have gone either way. This was one of the ones I wouldn't have been comfortable judging. Um, yeah, I would have to go on one of those judging courses to, to see exactly what <laughs> they, they they do go by. I've done referee courses before, and there was a few things that you know uh, I'll be like, oh really? They see it like that, and they, they do it like this. You know, it's quite surprising. But um, I reckon there'd be a few surprises as well, and perhaps how they judge things. But you know, a, a, as a reasonably experienced fighter. I found that one really hard, and, and any of those rounds could have gone, gone either way. I absolutely okay. agree. But um, for that me, makes me feel wrestling, a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but th- this is how I finally saw it. I over, I looked at the whole thing, and I thought, look, look Anders was clearly clinching up. He, he, the only time he was effective with his striking was breaking free from the wrestling, striking a little bit, and then trying to smother uh, Jocko. Yeah. But outwardly, he really had no success. Um, okay. And if you start adding up how many minutes of the round, Jotko was kind of picking him, not apart, but picking at him, scoring here and there. He was doing it for quite a long duration of the minutes of the round. Um, and if you look at the overall stats, uh, Sanders had a massive percentage of the cage control uh, in the clinch, a massive percentage, but he was hugely outstruck overall percentage-wise as well. He was uh, very, very inaccurate with a lot of his strikes because they were really off the break and trying to cluster in. So his strikes kind of got smothered amongst um, his re-entries. And that's what made it so hard to score. But, you know, again, if you look at those statistics, it was Jotko who landed all the strikes, and that's what's potentially going to finish the fight. So I think that the judges gave him the decision. 
on the fact that those punches and kicks were always aiming to try to win the fight, whereas that wrestling, because he wasn't completing them, it, it's like throwing strikes and missing by a million mile. It's just not effective. And um, what about you, Modestus, for that one? Yeah, I mean, look, Eric Anders comes from a uh, an American football background. I mean, he played for the uh, number one like uh, American football, like number one college football team, and they've have been for like quite a lot of years. So obviously, he comes in with a very explosive sort of background. I mean, I saw in his early. It's weird how he. I don't know, like in this fight, with he really emphasised a lot of wrestling. I mean. It, like from what I've seen in his last fights, he's been more of an anti wrestler with more striking. Like mm. I remember he when he fought when he fought uh, when he fought Machida, he was sort of sort of staying outside. Obviously Machida's very fast and stuff like that, but he was staying a little bit more on the outside with him. I saw another fight that he had at light heavyweight and the guy was going in more for takedowns and he was landing big shots. I think he does rely a lot on the, obviously his explosiveness as well. Uh, you know, like Danny said, like, you know, kind of going from those explosive shots to reshoot to come out and, and this and that. So he does rely a lot on the athleticism to sort of get him through the fight. I mean, I just thought it was, yeah, it was just a little bit weird seeing him go for a very wrestling heavy based sort of style when he sort of mixed it up a little bit better before. But again, I mean, listen, with Jocko landing all those strikes, if you're getting those shots strike, you you know, it's going to force you to want to wrestle more, especially when he was a, like, you know, a bit more of a crisp and more technical striker. Whereas Anders was very powerful, you know, overhands, you know, big power leg kicks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously I, I, I thought, I thought the decision went the right way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it seemed like from, 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 Jocko, the I don't know the, the the strikes just didn't seem to have that much like I don't know not as yeah. much zip behind it like yeah. you've seen from some other fighters like yeah I don't he know didn't have got, power yeah because yeah. I don't know if you guys saw the um, Vicente Luque fight against Nico Price so that yeah. was the other day oh my lord both Ooh. of them were literally throwing the kitchen sink at each other. Like it was insanity. Like you could hear it. Like I've got surround sound in the in the in the sitting room there, and you could usually go boom. Like you literally just hear like the echoes in the arena from the shots that they were landing. You didn't really have much of that in in this in this fight. I mean, and and like Danny said, like you know, technically uh, the wrestling could have been sharper for the finish. Uh, but then again, I guess you've got to give credit to Jocko with the takedown defense um, and like, you know, the Chris striking to take that away uh, to make to force him to have to reshoot again and, and, and do stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, but uh, another like like you guys said, another interesting fight. Do you think um, Anders changing strategy strategy could have been because of a lack of like fight camp, maybe a bit of stamina issues? because of the, um, you know, quarantine and lockdown and things like that. So maybe he wasn't as uh, conditioned as usual. Say... So, he, so he maybe relied on that wrestling-heavy style because he didn't feel that he had it in the tank to go hard. But let's know, say... On the feet. Let's, let's say, let, well, let's say he didn't have the means to train the grappling areas, right? Or he didn't like he didn't have a training partners to train with, or he just had his home or whatever, right? Mm. 
predominantly, unless you have a grappling dummy or, or something else, I don't know, bloody teddy bear or whatever, to practice like particular moves or this or that, you're going to be predominantly doing striking. You'll be going on running, you'll be doing yeah. sprints or whatever, and you'll be doing striking. So I actually think it, it, it's a bit weird seeing him go for that when predominantly, if you don't have the means to go out and do the certain types of training, the predominant thing that you're going to be able to do is striking. So realistically, mm. you should be working mainly more on the striking aspect as opposed to the wrestling. Maybe, actually, um, I don't know, maybe if he didn't have enough sparring, he didn't feel confident to throw those shots that he normally throws. Uh, maybe the, like the timing was, was, was not there and, and, and stuff like that. Maybe when he has his sparring, he's able to, to land his shots so he's a bit more confident in his shots, whereas he's like, do you know what? I'm not as confident in my shots now, so I'm going to go wrestling heavy, try and get him down, and then we're going to, we're going to win it tactically that way. So... I guess, you know, there, there, there's a lot of different... But if you were asking me, like, you know, if someone didn't... Ha- like I say, if they didn't have a gym or they didn't have, like, certain things to practice the grappling, I, w- I would imagine doing more running, doing more of that type of stuff, um, and then adding more striking and, like, you know, always doing... Sh- I mean, yeah, I, I understand if you don't have, like, a, a pad holder, then it might be difficult to, to, to get those timing of shots. But, you know, like, you know, a lot of them have access to bags and, and stuff like that. He, I, I reckon he probably could have worked his cardio that way, but it's funny, yeah. Without a proper fight camp, you know, uh, for a lot of these fighters, it does take away their, you know, th- their timing for, for for landing shots. It takes away the timing for going for takedowns. It it takes away a lot of those sort of things which are necessary. Yes, you can improve on the necessary skill set, like you know, skill specific aspects of each uh, each area. But in terms of actually putting them into practice, you're not getting that much of mm, that in yeah. there. But and, and Anders doesn't have a striking background though, does he? I, I don't nah, think he doesn't. Um, so I, I imagine if you're not absolutely on that all the time, I guess so, yeah. uh, and th- then I think you're going to go for what feels a more comfortable route, which is what I, I think this is why we saw him try the smother tactic. Um, I just think that it, it, it could have, had got the nod over those rounds if he was just being more effective of keeping him on the fence and being proactive and, and kind of do what Randy Couture used to do. Randy Couture used to sort of like dirty box you to death against the fence if he weren't taking you down. He'll either take you down and beat you up the ground and pound and just keep taking you down and smother you, mm-hmm. um, which we see time and time again, or, or he would literally just beat you up on the fence. Um, instead, he kind of cuddled him on the fence a, a little bit too much, and, and that's why I just didn't quite give him the nod. Yes, he, he did land strikes as he broke from the wrestling, but I just think once he had hold of him, there, there are controls you can use where you can free up one hand to, to, to strike or mm-hmm. uh, you know to get inside bicep control or hold the wrist to throw a knee to the body and legs. I think he could have used that wrestling position that he had so much time of to be proactive with the strikes. Because like uh, Modesta said, you know, are the judges looking for just damage these days? I, I think they are more so looking at damage. So when you have that wrestling, the only way you're going to score in that wrestling if you can't get the takedown is to use that wrestling engagement, especially when you're up against the fence, to engage with those strikes, which Modesta's a no. You know, we work a lot on our fence work um, to, to counter with the strikes and also to be proactive when pushing somebody against the fence with strikes because you can't always guarantee a takedown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I do wonder. Um, just lastly, I'll say uh, I do wonder if some fighters may second guess themselves a little bit after this kind of this period of uncertainty, whether they 
just if they don't feel as if they've got their timing down or they've been able to do as much sparring as normal or, you know, whatever aspect it may be, if you do just see some fighters maybe not as confident as they would normally be after, you know, as you guys will know, I'm assuming once you've, if you've done like a full fight camp of sparring and fitness and grappling and striking and you're doing everything every single day, when that fight camp ends, you're going to feel as good as you can in terms of your skill set. Um, and I just wonder whether maybe some of these fighters aren't feeling that confidence that they would normally have because they just haven't got a, a full fight camp with their teams and partners and yeah. stuff. It's a guessing I, I will, game. We can only yeah, of course, surmise. Speculation. And I, I, will, I yeah. will add, though, I think during any sort of situation, though, doesn't matter whether it be, you know, uh, good or bad or whatever, I think you should always adapt and overcome. I think if you're relying as well uh, a bit too heavily on being able to have a quote-unquote fight camp and this and that, and, you know, you're you're not able to do the things that you're going to do and, like, you know, it's putting doubt into your mind, then that's not a healthy thing for, I don't think so, for a fight. I think this is why this is a big part of me when, like, if you look at me, I mean there's rarely a day that I'm not training or trying to think like, like every time I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, well, let me go to jitsu. I might be able to learn something here, or maybe I can do this and I can learn that and this, that. And if you look at predominantly what all my training has been in terms of drilling, it's been going over all the moves that we, that I didn't get a chance to really go over that much. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's always other things like they're talking about, you know, Oh, I'm not able to get my cardio and this and that. Why don't you go and run? I bet how many listen, I hate running. I freaking hate it. Like I I it's not the first thing in my in the forefront of my mind for a training session to go out and run five miles. I'm literally dreading it. I'm like, oh my god, I, like, I know, I know my- why you don't like it, Modesto. It's because of that <laughs> massive ass of yours. <laughs> that, having all that thing around mate. I, I wouldn't want to run with that ass on the back of me <laughs> oh mate trust me I get, I get stopped every two seconds you know what I mean mainly by men actually but anyway so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah now nah, like you know I like but the, you know it's something that you that needs to be done but now I've been able to get more runs in for example and it's made my cardio even better for the for, for the rounds that I do with my yeah. dad and stuff like that and on the bag. So there's always got to be something that you're being able to work. I mean, listen, Bruce Lee said like or, or would always say always say the best. You know, you gotta adapt. These situations are tough. They're hard. Like a hundred percent, it's not a good time. You know, there's you know, it's a very bad global situation we have. But at the same time, you've always got to be trying to improve. I mean, listen, as a mm. fighter. <laughs> How, how you don't know when things are going to go bad and what you're just going to sit there and think oh yeah well i just can't train as hard and then that, you can't have that doubt in your head i think yeah do you know how yeah do you know how i see it i see that it's going to affect everyone differently and it all depends on your mindset uh Desta's, uh mindset is to just try and find a way of doing some sort of training move forward and improve yourself somehow some way no matter what the circumstances and that's absolutely what the correct of what you should be doing. But some fighters, they see it as a job. It is literally just a way of earning money to get by. And, mm. and like with any job, you have the opportunity to have a, a, add some paid leave or even unpaid leave if you have a little bit in the bank to not, not work. We'd all like to take time a off. Day of off work. Yeah, so it's having a bit of time off. And some of the fighters will treat it as a time off. And, and other fighters um, realize that it ain't actually just a job. 
you're, you're only ever young once and, and you'll learn this as you as you reach your mid thirties, you begin to realize, oh, crikey, things feel a little different now. And yep. you start to realize this ain't forever. I remember back when I was in my late twenties and early thirties, I remember thinking I'm never going to stop competing. I'm going to fight forever. But trust me, your, your, your mind matures, your, your body begins to hurt. It, it doesn't run the way it used to run. Um, you know, things and circumstances change. But I was exactly the same as with Desta. When I was um, trying to perfect my kicking, I, I was turning the light switch on and off before I go to bed by kicking it. I, I was closing doors by kicking the handle and uh, all these things. I was obsessing with it. I walked down a garden path holding my kid's hand, doing long knees. <laughs> you know, it was never out my head to, to be working my technique. I, I'd, get, I'd jump on the floor and, and jujitsu my dog on the weekends or, or, or their missus at the time or, or boyfriend, <laughs> As it, you know, whoever, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you've got to obsess about it, man. It's a small window of opportunity to, to train and well, um, you should embrace it. Well, that's it. We've, you know, we're, we're, like, like, like you said, a hundred percent, you're not going to compete forever. I mean, no. listen, even, even from, 20 years old to now is already a difference and i'm like i can't even imagine what's going to be like going from you know from now to 35 like it's uh you know the body does change like like you know consistently over time and you know now it, like if you have injuries they pop up a little bit like they pop up a little bit more but your recovery is a little bit better now but in a couple of years the recovery won't be as good so you're gonna have to again mm. find a way to get around that so um yeah, no, it's, it's it's a crazy time. But I think, listen, if your career is about, you know, what, like, you know, 10, 15 years or however long it is, like, exactly, like you say, make the most of it. You, you've you you've not got a massive window of, of opportunity. If you're, you know, not, not trying to progress and, and get as good as you can in it in the short space of time that you have, then, you know, it's just sort of wasting time a little bit. I think... You know, every fighter should be striving to to be the best martial artist out there. But then again, at the same time, I guess that's what separates you know the cream of the crop from the you know the regional level fighters or, or, yeah, or you exactly know, and stuff like that. So yeah, um, that's why you get same, winners and losers. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So I guess if we didn't have that, then obviously the the, the competition would be would be, would be very different. So at the end of the day, um, fighting much like anything else in life is you get what you put in out mm -hmm. you get out what you put in um and if you get a bit lax with it people the younger generation will pass you by um mm. and i think in fighting that is more prominent than any other job or sport in that i hear like danny and i hear richard shaw talking about the 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 boys and girls who are like 14, 15, 16 training in the academies and how talented they are and how unbelievable they're going to potentially be. And then I think, you know, if, if fighters now in this lockdown period start to sleep a bit and they think they've already made it or whatever it may be, there's a whole new generation on their way up who will happily take their place, who are hungry and, and sharp. And it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's mad. So, next in next fight was uh, Dan Ike. Ike, I always pronounce his name wrong as well. I'm terrible. Iggy, uh, Iggy, Iggy. Yeah. Dan uh, Dan Ike, I think it is uh, versus Edson Barboza. Uh, Dan Ike is uh, ranked number fifteen, and Edson Barboza ranked number eleven. I was uh, 
surprised it's, to learn. Barbosa's first time at Featherweight. I'm surprised he can get down to that. Oh, yeah. So he's le- ranked 11 at Lightweight. Um, yeah. It's a um, good effort, mind you, his age, isn't it? To get down to yeah. uh, Featherweight. Jeez. Woo. Yep. Good effort. Not easy. Um, okay, then. Uh, let's start with you, Modestus. What did you make of this one? Oh, he's changed his headphones. Yeah, sorry. It's just because the battery's running low, and on those ones, I can't put the... That's the only bad thing about these phones. is like they put the the earphones and the charger socket in the same plug. So it's like, well, so how are you supposed to charge it and listen to someone else? Anyways, I sorted that problem out, so we're all good to go now. Sweet. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so Dan Ike, uh, Edson Barboza, mate. Um, right, well, I thought personally um, Edson Barbosa won that fight. Yeah, I um, have the same. I, I think uh, he was, He. I mean, listen, obviously Dan seemed to hurt him a little bit in that first round, but then afterwards, like Edson Barbosa comes back and lands him in like really, really powerful shots. Um, he was just doing more damage overall. Um, he was mixing up the game a, a lot better than 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 Iggy. Iggy seemed to slow down a little bit over the course of the rounds. So, I mean, listen, I, I and and again, I mean, Barbosa looked really good at featherweight. Really good at featherweight. I mean, think how many years he's been at lightweight, and now he's dropping down another another weight class again. You know, sort of later in his career. And, you know, for him to look like that with a performance like that as well. This is why I think, you know, the officiating for this, uh, for this particular event was a little bit, little bit off, mm. I guess. Uh, again, yeah. just in my view. But, uh, but yeah, um, from those bright early sparks from Dan, it really didn't mean much because overall, <laughs> Barbosa was landing all the, like, as the fight was going on further, was landing all the crisper shots, the nicer shots, dropped him as well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see how you could not give it to Barbosa with an yeah, overall. Barbosa, got, uh, Barbosa ended up on top in the ground in two of those rounds. Yeah. And, yeah was, which... and was doing damage in, uh, at both times, especially in that first round. He was really uh, aggressive. I, I do think Dan was edging it on Barbosa in that first round. But when he got knocked down and Barbosa got on top, Barbosa was straight to work, had good high posture. I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I had Barbosa winning the first two rounds, and you know, I, I was trying to be kind to Dan to give him that third. I think you know he did step up the pace in the third, and you could argue that he may have got that uh, third round. But Barbosa was two rounds up for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I was bewildered by the decision going against him. Yeah, yeah. I had. Barbosa winning the first two, and then and then I taking the last one. Um, Barbosa looked pretty good. I thought. Um, I thought his striking was pretty good. Uh, he was working his jab well as well. Um, particularly even in that third round, which I had him losing, uh, I thought Barbosa did quite well with his jab. Um, not bad for a, for an older gent. Is he? Uh, he's still got something about him, Mr. Barbosa. Tr- Look at his physique. His physique's always been consistent. This guy obviously is a clean eating training machine. Um, and you'll still see him around for a good few years, um, knocking around in that top 10, I think, uh, because he's such a true athlete. And I think, you know, seeing him come down a weight, though, 
you can only but think that this is his last little run at trying to get himself in contention before we might see him retire. So um, possibly the last 18 months we'll see, depending on how those results go. But things going against him like that can't do him any favours for motivation to do that weight cut um, and put on a good, good performance overall in a new weight division against a tricky opponent. And to really have that decision go against you with a good performance like that is pretty uh, sickening for him. I imagine he's pretty gutted right now. Well, you you could understand him reacting uh, like the guy did earlier in the show because yeah. I actually thought this was much more clear that he won this, whereas the song uh, fight I actually thought was very close. And whilst I did think that uh, the song lost, it was close enough that I didn't find it outrageous. Whereas this one, I was like, mm, "Come on, we." This was quite clear. Um, so Barbosa's 34 now. Um, do you think he could possibly have a, you know, if he has, a, if he could string a couple, couple of fights together quite quickly, he could have a run at the featherweight title, uh, Modestus? I don't know. They, well, they've got Alexander Volkanovsky is now the champ, isn't it? Um, featherweight division. I mean, there's a couple in the in the you know in the in the top ten that are still quite dangerous. I mean, you've got Max Holloway. Um, you got oh, now Dustin Poirier moved up a weight class. Um, I mean, listen, they 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 they've got a couple of like you know still like really really good guys in that weight class. So it would still be very difficult for him to sort of work up the ranks. I mean, he did put on a very good performance, uh, but obviously there are quite a lot of. Uh, quite a lot of killers in 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 uh like i say especially in the top 10 so um so you know i got yeah go on i was just going to tell you the the top 10 for the featherweights uh volkanovsky max holloway uh chan sung young uh zabit uh yeah, magme shabirov uh yeah rodriguez uh calvin qatar off the back of his extremely uh impressive KO of Jeremy Stevens the other day. Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens, uh, Josh Emmett, Arnold Allen. Uh, it's that. That is a stacked division. Yeah. Right. So many good guys. Top 10. <laughs> and then you've got like guys like Cub Swanson, Ryan Hall, uh, Darren Elkins. Uh, oh, and Zipira, I think, I think it's Gernal. crazy. Ryan Hall's uh, it seems like a bit of the the the, the dark horse in the division. Where well, you go? Yeah, he don't get much opportunity to fight, does he? Bryce Mitchell ranked twenty three. That's, That's how stacked it is. Twenty three. How good? How well, good was he on Saturday? And he's ranked twenty third, but he's on a three fight win streak, maybe four actually. Cron uh, Gracie down there at twenty two as well. Wouldn't mind seeing yeah. a. I wouldn't mind seeing a Bryce Mitchell Cron Gracie matchup. I gotta say, mm. I think that'd be an interesting fight, actually. Yeah, I think that'd um, be real good. Sorry, mate. Yeah, I, I think um, I think Bryce Mitchell as well. Um, he's got a very pressuring wrestling style. Like he, a hundred percent wants to get you to. I don't, I don't know how the hell he manages to pull off that twister. Like, almost every single fight he gets there, it's mad. Like, to go straight from those positions, like, into that, it's like, it's it's almost something that's so rare to, to sort of come across because people you would think have wised up to it. But again, to him, it just seems like 
that's his that's his go to thing. Like he loves to try and get that back control and get and get the different yeah. you know, but his jujitsu for MMA is very good and his wrestling for MMA, like he he works so well for striking with that pressure. So yeah, I mean with with Crone, I I mean I think Bryce's striking will probably be better. Obviously Crone's got insanity jujitsu, but you know, again with MMA with strikes with, you know, a different you know, Bryce would probably end up getting the takedown overall. Um, with, 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 with that fight. I think it would be a very interesting for people to see stylistically for a lot of MMA fans because you've got, you know, uh, someone from the, uh, you know, the best family in jiu-jitsu ever, you know, it, it fighting in the UFC against a guy who's who's also got good jiu-jitsu, but from, you know, elsewhere. So it'd be, a, yeah, I think that'd be quite an interesting fight. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I like the sound of that one. Um yeah, that that division, some of the so I think it's the featherweight, uh, the lightweight, and I think is it the light heavyweight? This the those three divisions, the the rankings are just ridiculous. Like every fighter is like capable of really pushing on if they just get like a string of few wins together, all capable of beating each other as well. Um so yeah, Dan Ig took this by split division, split decision, uh, 29-28-28-29-29-28. Um, but I think we all agreed that uh, we felt Edson Barbosa won it. Yep. Um, and then we got, uh, I think, the match of the evening, or certainly off the main card at least, which was uh, Claudia Gadea versus Angela Hill uh, in the co-main event. Danny, would you uh, take take us yeah. take us through your this, thoughts? Yeah, I really love this one. You know how I enjoy the the women bouts, and not just because it's two females uh, <laughs> getting it on. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, this is really good. I just find the women are uh, technically uh, really crisp. Uh, the striking, I just love. W- women really do go out with the striking, and these girls uh, didn't disappoint. Really technically uh, uh, crisp all the way through. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, this is another decision that I was left with my head scratched at the end of it. I just really felt like Hill was being more diverse with her striking. She was throwing up kicks as well as punches. Um, she worked so good out of range. Um, I gave uh, Cadella the first round, but I gave Hill the last two. Um, and uh, you know, it had such a, a, a typical pattern to it. It was clear that Cadella was wanting to take it to the ground towards the latter part of the round. She got away in the first round, but was not getting away in the second or the third round. Um, she was just only able to, to, to get it on the ground or keep it there. Uh, and to, for, for, for my money, Hill was landing. She, she, Hill went about her strategy a little bit strange. Um, she was a taller, rangier girl, but she was using hook punches a lot. Um, I didn't think that was going to have any success, but she did actually get success and put uh, Cadella on her ass. Um, uh, but she kept rolling with it. It, it did start to, to show through and, and work well for her. But I like the way Hill started incorporating some high kicks into the mix. Um, I just felt like she was just doing enough all the time. Um, Cadella was predominantly just using hands and looking to clinch, but not getting successful all the time. She definitely looked crisp, definitely making the rounds look close. But yeah, I've I, I done it two rounds to one uh, for Hill, but didn't go that way. So I had uh, Claudia Gadella winning 1-3. And Angela Hill winning the middle one. Um, what okay. about you, Modestus? Um, I yeah, obviously we all agree that uh, <clears throat> that Claudia won the first round. I mean, she got the takedown as well. 
Um, so yeah, she clearly can control that round. But yeah, Angela Hill, 100% agree that she had like a lot more diverse sort of uh, skills with her striking. She ended up being very good with her takedown. I don't know, like Claudia just seemed like she seemed like she was getting. I don't know in in her face and her like her reactions when she was in the fight. She seemed like she was losing to to Angela. I don't know. It was like almost like a subtle tell that you can just just see from the outside of it. Like like yeah. Angela was landing a lot a lot a lot of really like like crisp nice strikes. I mean, I guess the third round was also like sort of very close. Um, it's hard because yeah, definitely the second round you get to Angela, but third one I I didn't really know to be honest with you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought a lot like Danny says. I mean, you know, the women's fights. If you see it, like the technical ability of some of these women is insanity. Sometimes you think like in comparison. To, to the men they're like oh you know on the same level if not better you know some of them so uh uh it was it was a really good fight but um yeah i i don't really know that that was one where i'm just thinking to myself like i mean claudia getting the decision that's okay but if angel got the decision that would have been okay as well so uh but either way uh definitely uh i have to give that fight of the night probably yeah. yeah, I think so. I, yeah, what I like about um, a lot of these female fights, particularly the ones where there's uh, their like main events or co-main events, is they don't hold back at all. You know, like some some of the male main events, sometimes they get hyped up, and then when they come around, they kind of don't deliver, um, and guys don't go perhaps hell for leather, or they don't get stuck in as much as you're expecting them to. And uh, I feel like we've had been treated, Dan, to a few, uh, few real bangers between the, the female athletes over the last, well, since we've been doing this regular show, like 21 shows, there's been a couple where we've just, the women have gone hell for leather for three, five rounds, just smashing it up. Like, and I, whilst this wasn't um, as brutal as the, what was it, the one that we watched? Shandali uh, and... Uh... Yeah, yeah, and uh, Joanna uh, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. just a ridiculous a fight. That was. I think it's like the, the, the best well matched striking combination I've ever seen out of the men or women. I just think it's a, sh- it's a shame, or not. I think their time is coming. I just want to see more women being the top main drawing uh, in the fight night, you know, to, to, to be the, the headlining fight. I think they should be more so put up there right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, who's your favourite female fighter to watch, Modestus? Favourite female fighter? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm re- I'm, I was really, to be fair, I was, I was really liking um, Zhang Weili uh, with, with her striking and her mentality when she comes into fights. She's very entertaining and she bloody hits hard. Um I don't know, man. Like it's 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 hard to say because like obviously there's a lot. Oh, do you know who else is good? Is it Shevchenko, Valentina? Yeah, yeah. Shevchenko, I think she is brutal. She is just wiping, wiping out the division. I mean, look, there's so many really good fighters. You've got Amanda Nunes as well. But I do like I do like Valentina. I like the way she presents herself. I like that she has her heritage. Always does, you know, this dance that she does from Russia and stuff like mm. that. And you know, she's very well versed everywhere. You know. She she does yeah. well to stop the takedown. She's got crazy good striking, got a good ground game. So, you know, and I, I, it's weird because in that in that particular division, I don't see anyone beating her like legitimately. Like it's like, you know, you look at the divisions and you think, okay, well, 
you know, that would be an interesting fight. You don't know who's going to win, but with her, I'm like thinking, really, who's going to take the title from her? So that's why yeah. I would say probably... I, I would say she's the best one. She, she's so clinical, technically. Every Everything she does has a thought or a pre-planned process behind it. Um, uh, she, she's like just literally a machine, an absolute machine. Uh, uh, kicks are always technically lie on perfect, mm, mm, uh, including mm, the timing. Um, a punch is always clinical. Combinations are so well-tempoed. Um, she's absolute joy. And then her ground is just so tight, so tight. You see the way she gets those side controls. Mm -hmm. She gets those side controls. Her head is buried, but then she chips with the knees. She get, get, gets space for the strikes. Really, really productive. Mm -hmm. There's no wasted energy in anything she chooses to do. And I, I absolutely agree with Modesto. I can't see anyone in that division right now getting nearer. Indeed. Okay, so uh, on to the main event. Uh, Mr. Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris. Um, i got to say, just before we start, uh, Walt Harris is my hero. The man, is, everything he's been through to to just come out and still have the, the motivation and the dedication to perform at the highest level, um, you know, so soon afterwards as well. I just think he deserves tremendous amount of credit. Um, you could see he was quite uh, like kind of hurt emotionally by like losing the fight. And I think maybe, you know, he, I'd imagine he put a lot of pressure on himself to try and get the win for this particular yeah. fight. Um, but I hope he said he'll be back. And I, I, I hope that, you know, he comes back to a high level because he's a really capable fighter as well. Uh, and he's entertaining to watch. So, you know, Godspeed to him because, geez, uh, as a father, I just can't imagine it. Um, and I, I don't like imagining it to, to go through what he's been through and his family's been through. Um, deserves a tremendous amount of credit. And also, I feel like Alistair Overeem deserves uh, a lot of credit for the way he uh, acted after the fight, during the fight, before the fight. But particularly afterwards, um, even though it was a big win for him, you know, they're ranked eight versus nine. Um, but he didn't care about celebrating his win at that immediate moment. He was only interested in uh, consoling, checking on, congratulating, whatever it may be, to Walt Harris. Um, mm. And I think that just shows a lot of class and says a lot about the man uh, as well as the fighter. Um, so mm. let's start with you, Dan, for this one. Uh, Alistair Overeem, Walt Harris. Yeah, explosive. Um, exactly yeah. how you want to see this type of weight division be. And, and this one didn't disappoint at all. Um, I, I I think Walt Harris did exactly the, the right type of thing. I think he had to go for the KO. Um, Overeem's has been seen to, I wouldn't say have a glass jaw, but you, know, you can rock him and get to a finish, or he can be sparked out with that one well-placed punch. Um, Walt Harris is a massive man, really big guy. And um, yeah, uh, um, I thought it was game over. I really did. When he knocked Overeem down, Overeem was bleeding. Um, he looked dazed. He looked overpowered, swamped. Um, but Overeem is a tricky customer. This this guy's been around a long, long time. Did he start? I think they said in the commentary he's been competing professionally uh, in MMA since 1999. Two yeah. decades. Two decades. I did one, and my body was in bits. But uh, okay, he had help along the way. Um, he was taking every kind of drug possible at one point. He <laughs> was uh, it, it was like a brown hulk at one point. But look, 
um, you got to respect this guy. It, it, he's, <laughs> he's been through so much, and, and I think his ground game, you don't see enough of it. His ground game is really tasty. He's got a really good MMA approach. Um, I think the weakness in his game has always been that, that, that slightly fragile chin, and you can't have a fragile chin in that weight division and, and go unbeaten. So he has as his losses. But what a comeback. He come back. It all started with a head kick. He, he got a really extensive K1 background. So he'll have his tricks there. And um, and he did. He placed that really good um, head kick. It started that process for him to get on top. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it didn't take long for him to... to oh, was it referee, it was referee, wasn't it? Stopped, stopped yeah, the referee in the end stopped. And, and stayed... He, um, so he Harris, wasn't defending but, himself, was he? Uh, no, for a no. minute or so before. Yeah, he had um, difficult, didn't he? I mean, as much as he had real good moments in that in that first round, unfortunately, he ended up with a really difficult situation um, where he was getting chipped away on. I think maybe that took some of his energy levels away, made his hands a little low in that second round, and he got clipped and got caught. Yeah, I've, uh, it's it's a very interesting fight to watch. Um, both guys capable of finishing a fight in seconds. Yeah. Uh, and you're right, I thought, well, Harris had him in that first round. Um, Overeem used every ounce of his experience to get himself together, to come back around, just didn't panic. And um, yeah. I think uh, Walt Harris's eagerness to get the finish actually cost him in the end. Um, and he yeah. got caught, which quite, quite is unfortunate, but you know, it's part of it, part of the fight game, isn't it? Uh, Modestus, what did you make of this one, mate? Well, firstly, I'd like to obviously send prayers and well wishes to uh, Walt Harris and the Blanchard family because obviously that's a completely, you know, tragic and, and, and crazy situation. Like, with all this pandemic stuff going around and then that happening to his family, you know, uh, it's, I can imagine emotionally, it's quite a hard thing to, to, to obviously have to have to deal with and then go in and fight at the same time. So, yeah, like I say, massive respect and send all prayers to him and his family. Um, I thought, you know, the same thing with you lot. I thought <laughs> as soon as I saw that KO when I, when I was watching it in the morning, I was like, I was standing like, oh, he's got him, he's finished him. And, and I think the extensive years of experience and like, you know, being in these, in these tough fights and, you know, maybe being hit by very hard punch. I mean, listen, if you're getting hit by Francis Ngannou, I mean, <laughs> you've had some licks before. So, um, you know, the fact that he's had hard shots landed on him, maybe he has that experience now to think, okay, well, if I can survive from something like that, um, or, or, or like I can feel like I'm still there, I might still be in it. Because then, yeah, it seemed like uh, Walt sort of rushed in a little bit and then really sort of neglected the wrestling sort of jiu-jitsu aspect of it and went in for the finish too much. Like, in my personal opinion, I thought that front kick that he threw was just not good. Like, mm. he, he would have been better off because he rocked him twice. Like, he would have yeah. been better off to go in and land some clean punches on him and maybe take his time. He literally ran, went for a head kick, had his back taken, and then it's just like it was, it was all downhill from there, really. And obviously, like, you know, and the, and the head kick and stuff. So... It's, it's mad because it's a crazy fight. Like you said, the power can go, you know, the power in that weight class, any one shot can finish it. But, um, but yeah, it, it looked to me, though, like Alistair's ground game was very technically sound. Like, he had him flattened out. He, the guy didn't have any answers at all. Like, it was, it was weird for me because 
like, you know, obviously when we're practicing like all the get ups and this and that, and, you know, trying to get up from these positions where we're taught a particular protocol in order, you know, with the frames and how to get out of these positions, you'd think, I don't know if he was tired or, or what was going on, but it seemed like Walt Harris seemed like, you know, he wasn't doing the things that obviously in a fight is crazy, it's a volatile situation, but surely there should be some things that, okay, I know I have to do this when I'm in this position and that position. And it, it sort of looked like he didn't have that particular knowledge in those positions because then Alistair Overeem just took advantage of that, got on top of him, landed those strikes, had his back. And I mean, listen, when I was watching it as well, I was like, he is landing so many unanswered shots. Like, surely the referee's got to step in now. And then it just kept going, like, boom, 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 from the back with his hands up like this. So um, it's mad. I think Walt Harris could have easily won that fight had he been a bit more patient with um, how he's going to go about the finish. Because over him with that experience, I think that's what got him through the dangerous parts of the fight, uh, especially when he got rocked. And then obviously with his K1 background and stuff like that, landing a kick and, and you know, and then taking the back and just landing technically like step by step from taking the back to this and that and having dominant positions with the ground and pound. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and as you said, um, obviously, uh, I, I like to see that there was a lot of respect shown, obviously, by Overeem. It must have been a very hard time even still, you know, with, with, for, for Walt, you know, um, with that whole situation. So, um, yeah, it was nice to see respect between fighters as well. I think it's nice to see in general there's been quite a lot of respect between the fighters like Glover Teixeira and, and, uh, and Anthony Smith because obviously we've seen a lot of trash talking. Obviously, yeah, that sells fights, this and that, but, you know, you don't get enough of that in the game as well where actually, do you know what, at the end of the day or you've settled your differences or whatever, at the end of the fight, that's the end of the fight. Like, do you know what I mean? You you pay your respects and that's it. You go about your ways. You both got, you know, your families to go to. You both got this and that to go to. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting fight. It definitely had me on the edge of my seat, that's for sure. Yeah, I think one of my, uh, just on something you said there, one of my favourite things about Conor McGregor is actually probably not what people would think. Um, one of the things I like about Conor McGregor the most is no matter what happens in a fight, uh, and in the build-up to the fight, win, lose, draw, whatever, he is very, very respectful afterwards. He will check his check on his opponent. He will give him the respect that is due because I think he does view it as you know the the, the stuff before is promotion or whatever you want to say. Um, then the fight settles it, and then he's always very respectful, even if it's against someone who he really dislikes, whether it's Khabib or whether it's uh, Nate Diaz. He was always very respectful afterwards. Um, Granted, he then, in the rematch, starts building it up again on social media and says whatever he says. But I just think, you know, like, leave it in the the cage once it's done. Um, At the end of the day, you're all putting your health, life on the line to to fight so just yeah yeah i absolutely agree with you about uh, about him you know he uh you know he puts a lot of pressure on himself to win with all the talk that he does and he's arguably the best that we've ever seen we got talking it up before a fight and um, you know he's changed the sport i think you know he's i think the highest paid for an individual fight 
uh, fighter that we've had regards MMA, and he certainly bumped up the general pay for each fighter. I mean, I think they're, they're still so far behind boxing. Course, um, yeah. Still, sometimes you'll see, um, you know, h- how much revenue uh, a promotion like UFC brings in and what percentage goes to the fight. I think it's yeah, below it's 20% or around 20%. Yeah, and, 19%. Um, yeah, and, um, and, and if you have a look at some of the top boxing promotions, when they put on top fighters, you know, you know, let's just say like the, the, the Tyson matches, 80%, 80% of the proceeds go to the fighters. I mean, if that's not, not a show that they respect the fighters more than they do in MMA, I don't know what is. So, yeah, MMA's got a long way to go before it matches um, and boxing. Um, I just hope it does get there at some point because – you know, as much as boxing ain't easy, what well, MMA ain't easy. You you have so many areas you have to work. It it really ain't easy. Um, you know, with boxing, you 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 get these real famous boxers. They're sort of like in, in training camps, and because they get paid so well, they they normally don't train for a, a, a long period, and then they have massive preparation periods of like twelve weeks. Um, MMA fighters don't have that luxury. They finish the fight, they heal up, they've got to go back in the gym to home other areas because there's such a broad, broad spectrum of potential ways to lose wrestling striking ground and anything in between uh yeah absolute shocking difference but yeah you're right we're going to get back to point uh, mcgregor has always received the defeat really really well you know he doesn't have any excuses um he's, a, he's always really respectful of who beat him or who he beats uh, and for that part of him is really good i don't agree with his antics outside the cage there's some, been some real questionable things there but that that's his personal life and that's out from the cage but certainly in the cage and everything around the sport direct um, I think he's conducted himself very very well yeah absolutely and at the end of the day um, like he's criticised for not, I don't mean the like the legal problems as such that he's had outside the cage specifically uh, he's criticised for some of the things he says in his promotion yeah. when he was promoting Mayweather. And the but everyone wants to fight McGregor because they know that he'll do that and the pay-per-view buys will be over a million and they'll get a massive chunk of money because of it. So whilst mm. people are quick to criticise him for running his mouth, if you like, um, everybody wants that fight as well because mm. of that. So... Mm. Yeah, you know, it is what it, it is what it is, as they say. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh that's our UFC breakdown for last night. So we're gonna finish off with the first of all, we're gonna go with the part three in our look into the rise of Jack Tank Shaw, the young man who's uh from Abertillary in Wales. Yeah, signed with the UFC. And uh, after he had ripped through the uh, Cage Warriors bantamweight division, uh, I find it really. We obviously we got uh, a listener uh, or a viewer requested that we do this. Have a look at uh, all his uh, Cage Warriors fights and all the way up to his UFC debut. Uh, just to have a look, a re a rewatch of it all. And then I have to say, like at the time, we were looking for retro shows to to review because there was no current stuff. I was like, oh, enjoy. Yeah. Okay. Someone asked, so we'll do it. And I got to say, it's been very enjoyable. Um, and it's easy to forget because he's a, he's only four, I think, once in the UFC uh, so far. It's easy to forget how talented he is 
Um, he's a very, very impressive athlete. Um, and you can see why when they when they did sign him to the UFC, why Dana White uh, spoke so highly of him straight away. Um, so today we're looking at uh, Cage Warriors 79, uh, his fight versus uh, Eddie Pobivanes from... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pobivanes from Germany. Uh, this was a Newport... Uh, Jack won uh, via TKO punches in the second round. Um, Danny, what did you make of this uh, Jack's performance in this? And uh... yeah, um, yeah. Each time we we watch him um, as we go through the weeks, he's been getting more and more difficult opponents, but only difficult in terms of their ability to defend against his onslaught. But an onslaught it continues to be, nevertheless. This guy was clearly clever on his back. He was uh, locking down in that half guard, trying to do sweeps. Uh, this guy um, really snapped his hips to get back from side control into the half guard again uh, to full guard. Uh, the guy clearly had really good movement with his hips, uh, this Eddie. But um, all, all you saw is an even more divi- div- uh, diverse um, attacking combinations on the ground. Um, the only... It's not criticism of Jack Shaw by any stretch, but each week that we've seen, we've seen some some guys that don't appear to have much offence regards to the wrestling. Um, He's taken these guys down with very little effort, leaving him with uh, huge amounts of energy to engage in the ground where he's clearly looking strong. But that's nothing to take away from him. I mean, maybe his wrestling's that good that he's making it look easy, like Khabib does. Um, Khabib out-wrestles other fantastic wrestlers. Um, so, you know, maybe we're not giving enough uh, credit there. You only got what you got in front of you. But um, it would be nice to see, you know, what would happen if someone can resist the takedowns. Um, I'm kind of curious of what his creativity would be then up against the fence or out in the open back striking again. I, I'm almost sure uh, that, you know, from what I'm seeing of him and, and, and speaking and knowing what I know of uh, Richard Shaw's dad, that they will have a game plan for such situations when they arise. But mm-hmm. this was a nigh on perfect performance yet again. Uh, it was absolute clinical. Uh, the, the kid seems to compete with no nerves. Obviously, we all get nerves. Uh, you, know, you have to be practically inhumane, uh, inhuman to, to not have nerves. But my God, he just gets in there and he performs. There's no warming up process, no feeling out with range. He's in. He gets where he wants it to be. And you can resist all you like. Just keep resisting. All it's going to do is buy him a little bit more time and you just get you a little later on in the fight. And that's what I saw here. I saw somebody could resist a little longer but still be on absolute receiving end in every aspect of that grappling exchange. And, um, yeah, it, it, it went to a victory for him in a very convincing manner yet again. Well done, Jack Shaw. It's just utterly impressive. Yeah, funny enough, I was just looking at his uh, some of his the upcoming fights we're going to look at, and there's a couple of KOs in there, and there's a, a submission, a de- decision. So we've got some interesting stuff to look at. Um what impressed me in this particular one was, number one, the opponent was much more capable, like you said, uh, defending yeah. on the ground. Um, yeah. Whereas the first couple, I think the first fight we watched was an amateur fight and then we this sort of first pro with Cage Warriors. Um, the French guy, obviously, last week, they didn't do head strikes uh, in France at that point, so he didn't know what to do when Jack got the mount. Yeah. Um, Whereas this guy knew, even when Jack got him to the ground and tripped him, he knew to do certain things to defend himself. 
what impressed me was Jack's transitions uh, when the other guy tried to instigate a scramble or yeah. just when something would happen, Jack would move so quickly, so quickly. He was on him in seconds. And yeah. it was very, very impressive. He finishes with the the, the TKO. Mark Goddard uh, stops it for punches. But again, like we said in the last couple of weeks, you can only beat what's in front of you. And it's been pretty much perfect. Did you watch this, Modestus? Yeah, yes, I did, actually. Um, I've, look, listen, I've always given massive praise to Jack. He's an extremely talented guy in every single area. Uh, in, it's funny, if you look at, uh, across the broad range of his fights, he's, he's managed to be able to, to do really well whilst pressuring other fighters, but also whilst he's been on his back foot. So he's managed to adapt to, to both different ways that if he would have to fight a guy who wants to come at him more or if he needs to come at the guy. In this particular fight, he chose to come at the guy a bit more. He had a very stiff jab. like That was a lovely jab that inevitably got him to, to where he wanted to be up against the cage. And I mean, listen, he used the same takedown, pretty, I think, twice. But yeah. uh, it was really effective. That outside leg trip, bang, straight on the guy's back, no questions asked. And the, the control that Jack had on top was, I thought, immense. I mean, but you see that in, again, all of his fights. Anytime it gets to the ground, his, his control, pressure, striking, his IQ on the floor is, like, really next level. You know what I mean? So, obviously, this is why he's, like, one of the top prospects. Um, but, yeah, the guy underneath, you know, he did, you know, seem to know what he's doing, trying to get a lockdown. But every time, Jack always seemed to have an answer. And, uh, yeah, then inevitably, as the positions progressed, as the guy was struggling more to handle, you know, being thrown in the shark's, shark's tank pretty much with, 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 with Jack, um, as the posi- uh, positions progressed, it just became even worse and worse for the guy. Eventually, managed to get the back, get on top, ground and pound, see you later. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> yeah. It was a very, very clinical performance, but from everywhere, like... That the jab was just boom right in there straight away got in his face got him to the cage got the outside the outside leg trip he didn't really have to work so hard to get it either he landed a couple of nice strikes and then he had the overhook on the on the right yeah he had the overhook but it's sort of pressing down on his arm so he had no sort of underhook raise on that side and then straight away just took the leg from underneath him and bang straight on the floor did that twice so yeah. you know he's he's very he's very well versed in in, in 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 those areas. But yeah, as soon as they hit the floor, man, like completely clinical. Like yeah. even he, with he, the guy attempting to to get out, it, it was hard for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 just um, keeps hitting you with subtle technical attacks. So much so that you you you're gonna have to walk into a checkmate position. He, that's that's what he does. He's just he's yeah. he's feeling out for a potential win. But the nice thing about what Jack Shaw is doing is. Not only is he hunting for that submission if it if it comes about, but if it doesn't, he's looking to elbow. He don't, he don't just want to win the round. He's trying to win the fight outright. And Modesto, you were saying this earlier on that you know really needs to be emphasized on because this is something I push for my students to do. Always push to win that uh, win the round outright. Don't have it in your mind. Oh, I'm going to win by go. Oh, what I want to win by really naked choke. No, you win by what's given to you. But to do that, you've got to get ahead, mm-hmm. stay ahead, and pressure to move them in position for a checkmate. 
you, you need to outwit your opponent in, in all avenues so they only have one pathway left to go and that leads them straight to the dead end where you trap them and, and get them. And that's what he appears to do. That's how he's able to get these guys down with the takedown in the first place and then he mauls them on the ground, looks for the elbows, puts you under so much pressure um, underneath that you've got a choice to try and escape when it's a, perhaps a bit premature to do so and get yourself submitted or you can stay there and get cut up by those elbows because he ain't just punching you he's looking to elbow you and and, and that's a that's a dangerous opponent to, to be up against indeed and uh, just to finish off on this uh next friday for our live show uh starting at 6 p.m uk time uh, our special guest will be mr jack tankshaw uh which i'm yeah. very excited to be um <laughs> Much like Modestus, Jack's been on before. Um, and as I said to uh, Richard last week, I, could, I might, don't know if it was on the, the show with you, Danny, or if I said it to him during the interview I did with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the things, or one of the other things, which impresses me about Jack is the way he uh, conducts himself outside the cage. Uh, you'll mm. never see him on social media, like getting involved in silly spats or insulting people or, you know, just whatever, all the silly stuff which people do on social media. Never see any of that. Um, he conducts himself pretty much like a gentleman. He's a very, very nice guy. Uh, he's friendly. He's approachable. And um, I think, think it says a lot, not just about him, but obviously his father and his training um, and yeah. the work they're doing. Um, and, then, you know, again, like they've got some really talented fighters uh, over in Shore MMA. We've talked about Oban Elliott a lot, uh, Dan. Um, he's another one who's he's not as quite as, uh, uh, what can I say? He's not quite as quiet as Jack and um, he's got a bit more to say for himself. But um, he's a very, very talented boy. And uh, it'd be interesting. I think when you look at the some of the, the names... Um, like I just look like obviously I'm speak to you, Danny, every week. I speak to like Jack and Oban and people now and again. Um, I speak to Richard now and again, and I think of uh, all the fighters which you've mentioned from BST, like young fighters like Jordan and like me and Mendesta spoke about Jordan during um, the podcast which we did before. Tom and as well spoke about Jordan and some other people. Um, just in BST and Shore MMA there seems to be an abundance of really um, quality young MMA fighters coming through now. Yeah. Um, and that's without, you know, speaking or, or even talking about other academies and other places around the UK and Wales. And we, hopefully we're on the, uh, with the beginning of a, like a, an MMA bang as it were to uh, really take the sport to the next level and get the fighters paid as they should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's my little... My yeah, little... you're absolutely right. Everything you said, absolutely right. Okay, so... Two... You know what? I, I have to... I... Sorry. Go on, go on. I was just going to add one more point, actually. Um, just to say, you know, speaking about pay and stuff like that, I think it, a lot of that as well is dependent on you know, the, the entertainment factor, how you fight. There's, there's so many things that go into it, you know, like you can, you can go in there and have like a very boring game plan or you're not as well spoken or you're not like, you know, there's nothing, there's something that's not really that unique about you and this and that. And then, you know, that will sort of 
in a sad way, it will force you not to get paid as much. It's crazy because now, especially in this day and age in the entertainment uh, field and stuff like that, this is why Conor McGregor got paid so much because he's got a unique personality. He says stuff that no one else is saying and he goes on and smashes people at the same time. It's, it's, um, it's, it's crazy because you, you'd think us fighters would get paid more because we're doing a hell of a lot for all people's entertainment. You know, we're, we're trying to, uh, uh, conduct ourselves over a course in a massive range of different areas. You know what I mean? Like, and um, I think that's one thing that if, if it was probably any advice to any of the younger fighters as they're coming up, you know, obviously is it's one thing is just to be yourself. The reason why Conor McGregor done so well is because that was just him as a person. I think people who are, who are, who are respectful and, and this and that can still be those mega stars. It's just by acting themselves. Like Jack Shaw, he's himself and everyone loves him for that. And I think it should go the same for everyone else. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of fighters that are upcoming are thinking, now nah, I've got to talk crap to get myself to the top when they what mm. what they don't realise is that it's not it's not that's not the, the the blueprint for it. The blueprint really is just to be yourself and if it's infectious for people, then it will just become like that. And you know, you can't re obviously, unfortunately, at the end of the day, not everyone's going to like you, this or that. But the point is just to make sure you are that you are highlighting the, the, the best version of yourself to everyone else inside the cage, outside the cage and, and everywhere else. If you're a bit of a wild guy, then, of course, you just got to embrace that, that thing. And that's why then people start talking about different people. So I think that's another big factor that people sort of often neglect as much as the fighting inside the cage is to, to get their pay or to get people interested. At the, at the end of the day, it's, it's the overall sort of package. So uh, this is why it's so hard, you know, to, to do really well in the sport and, 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 and stuff like that, just because obviously um, there's so many, so many different things out there, so many different people out there. It just depends what's going to stick out and, and, and resonate with people the most. Spot on, mate. Couldn't have said yeah. it better myself. Um, okay, so just to finish off, we're going to um, just kind of just go through US, UFC 7.5 is classed as. Uh, it's the first ultimate ultimate, which is basically uh, all the various winners of the previous tournaments uh, competing in one mega tournament. Uh, we're not going to go into each fight in a massive amount of detail. We're just going to kind of talk about the the general uh, tournament match by match. Um Oh, I had one. I had a question set in actually, Modestus, for you just before we start that, which was yeah. um, if you could pick one fighter uh, from past or present or current to be like your final ever fight, who would it be? John Jones for the title. What a shout! Yeah, Re retire as champion. That that could be the reality. That could be a reality. Well. This is it. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been thinking about this whole scenario and situation. How crazy would it be, you know, like two, three years climb my way to the top of the ladder, and you know, John Jones is looking for his last fight or to defend his belt or whatever. He's moved up to heavyweight, but now he needs something new. And then next thing you know, the guy that used to spar with him when when I was 22, and next thing you know, I'm like, you know, I'm 28, 29. And he's going to, and it's again the the new the 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 past and the present. Uh, sorry, yeah, the past and the present, or whatever the future, and that would be a crazy fight. By like, I, I mean, I could I could I could picture that that whole scene in my head all the time, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I really do hope that some point in the future that will happen because he was literally my idol for for the longest time and still is. 
And uh, yeah, to, to turn your idols into rivals is, I think, every athlete's really dream. Uh. <laughs> Spot on. I'm going to cut that clip and put it out separate, like little minute clip. <laughs> put the head in. Justice <laughs> calls out John Jones. <laughs> stir, stir, some, stir some controversy. Oh, That's um, it. <laughs> Right, okay, so uh, first fight we'll talk about, we'll go with the, the Tank Abbott uh, in the quarterfinals. He faced uh, Steve Jenham, uh, one via neck crank uh, in a minute and 15 seconds. Uh, Danny? Yeah, uh, this is, you know, we're, we're beginning to see that weight counts. Tank Abbott's a, you know, it's a real good name for him because he's built like a tank. Uh, doesn't look the most well-conditioned of athletes, but this guy comes with intentions. He's got some wrestling capabilities. He's clearly got some hands on him, not in a beautiful, pretty way, but he's got some hands in terms of like, he throws and he can knock you the hell out. He steamed in to Steve Jenner, really made his weight count with his wrestling, got him down all too easy. Um, Steve Jenner did, did look um, a little bit more, even more swift on the ground than what he previously done. I think it clearly is sharpening his tools on the ground. He had really nice hips, but nothing he was going to catch uh, Tank Abbott with. Although Tank Abbott's not a, a, a beautician on the ground, um, he's a really good top wrestler, easily pulled out of those arm bars. Um, Steve Jenner has to negate all the way back to a closed and open guard. Um, and in that open guard, it, it just got stacked and, and, and put pressure on his neck and it was over. It didn't last very long at all. Um, and I'm just not surprised now that the fighters are beginning to learn a skill set, skill set um, across the, the broad spectrum of the weight, and the bigger man is is beginning to show through Tom Tom again now. Indeed. Anything to add for that one, uh, Majestas? Uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I mean, I've seen a couple fights, uh, bits and bobs here and there. Yeah, but yeah. I haven't been able to really uh, watch watch the fights in their entirety. The only thing that I'll put, put, uh, probably add in this segment is just to say that. From what I have noticed is that it's crazy to see how far the game has evolved from then to now. And, you know, even like the higher weight classes, like even from, from the light heavyweight, you know, every, everywhere was very singular martial art orientated. Everyone's like, okay, you know, there was a, there was a big thing like which martial art is the best and this and that. And mm. it, it was like that for quite a long time. And then slowly but surely the, the MMA game started evolving. People started trying to, you know, take little things from each aspect and stuff like that. And it's yeah. crazy to think how that has sort of evolved and developed into what it is now today. And now if you look yeah. at the level of each fighter, you can't go in there with a singular approach. You have to be well-versed in every aspect. I think at the same time, you still got to have a particular skill set that you are able to thrive on because that is something that will give your opponent like if you're able to completely overshadow them in that position, then it will, it will, it will, it will throw them off, off balance a little bit. Um, but yeah, you have to be good at everything now. Whereas, you know, sort of before one art will beat one art and, and, and this and that, but it's, it's obviously crazy as well to see bloody 30 minute time limits insanity. So yeah, that's what, that's what I'll sort of pitch in for, for, for this little bit. Yeah. Um, what about uh, Tank Abbott though, uh, mate? Were you uh, a big, a big fan? Um, I've seen, I've seen, I've, like I said, I've, I've, I've seen bits, uh, bits and bobs from what I could see. Yeah, he was like a sort of very large uh, fellow. He was just very sort of just a, just a powerful, top-heavy sort of guy. Um, and 
I'm pretty sure it was one of those fights. I mean, some of the slaps that these guys are giving each other, oh, my God, my ears would be ringing for days. These guys just, like, literally just open hand, palm strike, or bang, straight to the neck. <laughs> straight to the neck. It even makes me cringe just looking at it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Nah, man. Um, like I say, you got to remember, yeah, go they do downward elbows as well back then. Downward elbows on the back of the head, neck, yeah. spine. That was, that was all go back then. Groin shots. Brian shots, we're seeing that. Yeah, pulling the hair as well. And they can hold the fence, which is um, something that we see, um, which we'll talk about as um, we, we skim through these fights. Uh, they tactically were holding the fence, both for a top position and to, to prevent going to the ground. This is something that I noticed. They started to use, learn to use the environment to their advantage um, in this UFC. Indeed. Uh, next up, Dan Severin versus Paul Valerians. Is this, this the one you couldn't find? Uh, uh, yeah, I tried to find it and I just could not find it. Uh, did, uh, did you manage to get hold of it, did you? Uh, I saw the, I've seen the finish of it. Basically, Dan Severin uh, gets an arm triangle choke on Paul Valerian right. in just under a minute. Um, yeah. It's pretty much not every, surprised. every Dan no. Severin bout you've seen so far. He kind of yeah. just throw, throws him around. And uh, yeah. chokes him out. Yeah. Uh, next up was Marco Ruas, who uh, was very impressive in last uh, the last week's show versus Keith Hackney, uh, which Ruas won via rear naked choke after two and a half minutes. Um, yeah. So I see- remember seeing this years and years and years ago. So I can't remember all of it, but I think he picks him up belly to belly almost, and just picks him up and slams him down, being being bigger than Keith Hackney. Um, he doesn't mix it with the striking, uh, from what I remember. Um, you know, Kiv Kakni, uh, clearly aggressive on the feet. Um, uh, from what I remember, uh, Michael Roos engages uh, with a body lock. He picks him up, he slams him down, and then quickly deals with him on the ground. Kiv is not a ground guy by any stretch. And um, I think he got showing up as that. Uh, you could see that this guy, uh, you know, Michael Roos was a well-rounded guy and clearly good on the ground. And Kiv had no answers for him. Yeah. Um, next up was the Oleg Takorov versus David Benatow. Um, obviously, last week in the it was the first time where I think we saw uh, Takorov look a little bit vulnerable uh, when mm. he faced Ken Shamrock. He looked in a bit of trouble at certain points. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of this one? Or just take us like through the yeah yeah um, yeah it wasn't a, was it a super long fight um that, that Dave was a the, the bigger guy he's the better wrestler of the two um I'm just trying to remember I, I can't find where I put, what did I put in my notes here I can't find where I put that one so I'm not write that one down yeah I'm just trying to um he, I, he got to the ground he, he submitted him quite quickly didn't he it, yeah yeah he got uh, him in yeah. his hold and. Uh, and, why have uh, I not written down the finish? But... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he rolled for an e bar, didn't he? Yeah, um, he dived underneath. Uh, you see, I started to see so that Oleg was starting to uh, counter people's superior wrestling with this dive roll for an e bar, which uh, become a bit of a theme of his game throughout this UFC. Um, he did the same to Dave. Um, really, really slick uh, hunting for those legs. You're clearly a leg lock specialist, and and that came to light in this bout and continued throughout the uh, rest of the UFC. This is something he's obviously been training for. Yes, I think so. Um, and then we obviously go to the semi-finals. Modest, um, you are you uh, familiar with uh, Oleg Taktorov or not? 
Uh, do you know what? I, I, I remember uh, seeing that name pop up. I, I had my old PS1 and I had like a, the, <laughs> like, I think like a UFC game, like proper old. Like I had like all the, like Gary Goodridge, um, had like all, all like the old fighters and stuff like that. And I think he was actually one of the fighters that was on that game. Um, yeah. From what I from what I've been seeing, he's quite an imposing character, like quite large. Um, mm. Again, um, like I say, I, have, I haven't really seen too many fights. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy because nowadays, uh, like, you know, we're, with my sort of obsession with being ahead of the game, I'm, I'm, always want, I'm always looking at modern fights or the fighters that I'm going to be fighting as opposed to the older fights. But uh, I guess that's something that I probably need to look into more because uh, from what I can uh, listen uh, to you guys saying, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh... I just find it fascinating going like we started with UFC one and then as we've gone on each week, you see some fighters improving, some not so much. It's definitely compared to that first week, there was, uh, it was not, you know, it was interesting to watch and you saw some, some brutal uh, strikes and things like this, but Hoist Gracie basically just tapped everyone out pretty simply mm. because no one knew how they like, no one had any ability on the ground but as the shows yeah. have gone on each week you just seeing people have got more and more ability to defend themselves in the grapple yeah then makes people like hoist gracie less uh i wouldn't say less effective because they you know, he's still one of the best ever but he's not able to just take someone down and beat them in seconds because they're able to do other stuff, which brings in their striking. Uh, okay, so the the semi final yeah. uh, we had Dan Severin versus Tank Abbott, which I was very, very much looking forward to oh, yeah. seeing which way it went. Uh, mm. It went to unanimous decision. So this is the first time uh, that, I, that they had the you know the judges uh, giving the decisions um, and. Both semi-finals and the final all went to decision. Uh, so in the mm. semi-finals, it was an 18-minute uh, match, and then the final was a 30-minute match. Uh, so very quickly, Dan, just take us through kind of your thoughts. Yeah, Dan Seven and, and uh, Tank Abbott. This is one that I was kind of intrigued how it would go. Um, uh, Dan Seven's a more decorated wrestler, although Tank Abbott is no slaps with the wrestling. Um, Dan Seven's a big, big guy, but this is where I noticed Dan was evolving. Uh, about what the cage fighting was all about. He was much more aggressive on top in ground and pound, on top, uh, top of Tank. So he did take Tank Abbott down. He wrestled him as I thought he might. Um, and Tank Abbott was kind of stuck flat down on his belly. Um, he, 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 he was just getting out-wrestled. Uh, Dan Severn was using you know, an ankle, uh, an ankle pick control from the turtle position. So he, Tank Abbott couldn't stand back to his feet. And he was landing really aggressive downward elbows. He was using the fence... Uh, to, to hold on to put more ground and pound power down. Um, yeah, it, it really used the, the, the cage well in his favour. He gripped the cage right at the right times to, to fix Tank Abbott in against that fence. And Tank Abbott really struggled. Um, and th this was really the, the, what, what happened throughout their, their bout, really. He was just getting out-wrestled and out-grappled. Uh, it kind of looked like a wrestle match with strikes. That's the only way I could describe it. Um, they weren't performing jujitsu, but um, they, they were practically they were just wrestling, like two two kids scrapping on the floor. Uh, but Dan Seven clearly was the more evolved 
and, and the more athletic. And so, although I think Tank showed a lot of resilience and a lot of desire to try and find a way to come back and win, he would swing and get taken down again. And Dan was just too good a wrestler. Yes, I think um, it was, yeah, like kids rolling around, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Oleg Taktorov and Marco Huez. And then uh, also yeah. take take us through the final then between Dan Severin and Taktorov as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, with uh, with Marco Ruiz and Taktorov, uh, they, they had a bit of a rivalry between them, these two. Um, to, to me, it, it always looked like uh, Marco Ruiz was perhaps better on the feet. But Michael Ruiz started trying to sit behind just a leg kick. But as the bout went on, he was getting more and more tired uh, with the leg kick and was unable to continue to be effective. Um, for me, Oleg Tektorov was just being more diverse in his attacks. He, he tried rolling knee bars. But as people will know, with Michael Ruiz, who was pretty accomplished on the ground as well, was able to resist any of the submissions, but nevertheless was the one having to defend the diverse of attacks. And when on the feet, Oleg was going in with slightly more hands than what... Um, Michael Ruiz was. Uh, Michael Ruiz just seemed to, to to struggle with the cardio. Although he looks like a really well conditioned athlete, uh, he just seemed to just seemed to be struggling at it. And he um, was really just trying to rely on trying to kick the leg off of Oleg. Uh, it, it didn't happen as his energy began to wane. Oleg started not having to worry about the leg kick so much uh, and started to try to do the knee bar roll again. And worked briefly on the ground back up to the feet. And the judges gave it in favour of Oleg, and I think rightly so. Indeed. Um, so what do we have? Yeah, so the final then was Dan Severn and Taktorov. And, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, Oleg uh, knew that he was going to get out-wrestled. He knew he was the smaller of the two guys. Um, although Oleg is not a small man. We all know the beast Dan Severn is a big guy. Um, he does a lovely rolling knee bar yet again. Um, he, he kind of gives up his, his back standing, dives and so nearly gets Dan's leg out straight. But Dan managed to defend the leg position well enough. He gets on top. And from there, he, he kind of just mauls Oleg. Um, he's, he's just just too big for uh, Oleg. And, and now just getting too seasoned in the cage. He just looks like someone who's been in there and now knows how to wake, make his weight advantage and his wrestling skill count for every minute that's in there. Um, yeah, Oleg was just, not I wouldn't say outclassed, but just outgunned through sheer size. Um, I think it really become apparent that big wrestlers were, were kind of like the, the stick in the spokes of a rotating wheel. It kind of screws up all martial arts. It was kind of like undoing the mystique of jiu-jitsu. Um, if there were bigger wrestlers, they were able to defend against the um, submission attempts of a smaller jiu-jitsu guy enough to get the ground a pound off and they was able to take down any striker if they wasn't versed in, in, in the wrestling arts. So you know, wrestling was really putting itself on the page as a surprise, um, uh, uh, you know, to be so effective against all the other martial arts systems. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, yeah. this wasn't my, yeah, my favorite one we've watched so far, but it wasn't, it wasn't the worst either. Um, so next week we're going to be talking UFC 8, which is David versus Goliath, uh, which will be interesting. We've got some familiar names uh, joining us with a super fight championship of Ken Shamrock versus Kimo Leopoldo. Uh, I remember be, that fight. Uh, that, was, that was actually a good fight. I remember this one from back along. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. Obviously, we'll have um, 
we got Don Fry making his debut as well. Oh, uh, good so old Don Fry. Some, Legend. Some real, some real, real uh, familiar names are starting to come yeah. into it now. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we'll have the usual, uh, well, the, the current UFC, which will be on the Saturday night. And um, we'll take our next look into the, the rise of Jack Shaw, um, which I believe is... Uh, lost the page now but um i've got a link i found the link for the fight because it's actually a cage warriors academy show um but the fight's on youtube anyway so that's fine um <clears throat> and yeah so uh, the next time you will see us guys is friday 6 p.m live facebook youtube twitter join us myself danny and uh, jack shaw will be breaking down the wednesday show um, which is anyone know what the what the main event is for Wednesday? Professionals. Oh, crikey! There's been, there's been so many that suddenly been going yeah, on. I know they, they're so close They're're together as out. well. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's been great. I mean, we've all been starved uh, of events, and and to have like two a week, it has been fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not sure my wife my wife agrees with you, but I yeah. I, <laughs> I had like uh, eight hours of UFC to watch today in total or something stupid. And it was like, yeah. But no, it's been fun. It's been gone. The um, the live show on Thursday last week was really well received. We um, had a good few thousand views on Facebook and stuff, and people got involved in that. So it's a good start. I like that. Um, and we'll we'll keep doing those live shows and have some guest analysis uh, people to uh, help us help us along as well, because it's good to have some different views. Um, sure. Modestus, thank you so much for joining us for the full show. See? No no jumping out after yeah. an hour like Brett Johns. Brett bloody <laughs> did the current stuff and off, off he went. Yeah, his missus, missus come in, wasn't it? And, and yeah, give him a come out for work. And he's like, fair. oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a chip, guys. Well, but yeah, no, thank you, uh, Modestus, for joining us for the full show. Appreciate it, my friend. And uh, tell the people where they can oh, find thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, oh, it's a pleasure, mate. Tell, uh, tell um, the people where they can find you, mate. Yes, yeah, so um, Modestus Bukowskis on Facebook. Might as well just spell it out. M-O-D-E-S-T-A-S and then B-U-K-A-U-S-K-A-S. And then on Instagram, uh, which is probably my most prominent uh, sort of uh, social media, is M-O-D-Y-B-24. And then um, on Twitter, it's M-O-D-E-S-T-A-S, B-U-K-A-U-S-1. And um, yeah, that's pretty pretty much it. I uh, can't get no numbers now because I've got a girlfriend, but... Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If anyone was sort of, <laughs> if anyone's seen the take me out video, <laughs> um, well, I can tell that... you my girlfriend has, and she wasn't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's it. Don't your dad do personal training as well, or not? Does he do personal training? Um, yes, yes, uh, yeah, yes, he does. Um, yeah, so I, I did. I, I believe I... if you go to. Sorry, we got. I think we got a bit of a lag on the talking. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit. Sorry, 
Um, yeah, so I, I believe if you uh, if you type in Gintas Combat um, on uh, on Google, or if you even just type in my dad's name is Gintas Bakafus, so G I N T A S, um, you'll uh, you'll be able to to find it and basically message if if you are uh, interested in doing privates. But he's uh, yeah, obviously very well versed. He's my head coach. Um, works very greatly alongside Danny uh, in the corner. Has probably given me the best advice possible both but every single fight these guys have been together has led me to to victory which has been amazing yeah, so, yeah. So i did i did touch on your dad but i don't think support. i actually mentioned his name uh but uh, yeah gintas is is pad holding is is second time i've never seen pad holding like it and combinations like it um obviously i train with uh, modestas a lot but i i'm more there to um you know um, do his wrestling strategies and grappling strategies um the only real striking side of the coaching I have anything to do with is when he's sparring full MMA. And, um, and you know, I try and help him uh, disengage or engage with the wrestling, depending on what strategy you want to play out mm-hmm. with in any particular day. But, you know, Gintas predominantly does all of uh, Modestas' striking. And, and my God, it's, yeah, quite something. So if people want to experience it, you can get training with Gintas. You would not be disappointed. There you go. Um, guys, you can't find Danny on any social media because he's not on any of them. So uh, check out BST Academy, uh, bstacademy.co.uk. Check out awaydayapparel, uk. Uh, you can also use the code AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase, and get 10% off all your orders. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching. And uh, we'll see you for the live show next next week or the end of this week as it goes out. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ace Podcast Nation. Best way to support the channel and all the series, including this one. And uh, you can, of course, find the audio versions, usual places. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at AceCast underscore Nation, as you'll see just under my pretty face. And uh, facebook.com slash AceCast Nation. Uh, Danny Modestus, thank you for joining me. I appreciate, me, appreciate it immensely. And uh, We'll see you all next week. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.